Uh, let me take this opportunity to, to welcome you all to this portfolio committee meeting this afternoon, whose uh, purpose is to receive presentation from DPSA, National School of Government, Center for Public Service and Innovation, and thereafter, uh, Public Service Commission. I will <clears throat> allow the, the presentations to be made, all of them, before we entertain discussions and questions on them. But before that, let me remind the portfolio committee that uh, Minister Ayanda Jojo was deployed elsewhere internationally. She is no longer the Minister of Public Service and Administration, and the President has appointed Honorable Minister Ngesi as an acting minister. If Honorable Ngwesi has joined, welcome you as, uh, to this portfolio committee meeting. Or in his absence, if the DM is there, it will be fine. Welcome, 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 Jangaman. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as I've said, <clears throat> I'm going to allow the you first to, to make opening remarks in terms of the presentation that your department is going to make. And therefore, uh, thereafter, I will allow at the end the acting chairperson of the Public Service Commission to make his opening address before the presentation of the Public Service Commission is made. Let me, without any further waste of time, Jangamanta, allow you to make a, the opening remarks before the presentation of your department is made. Thank you very much. The, the floor is yours, Honorable Minister. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson and the honorable members of the of the portfolio committee together with the leaders of the various entities who are with us today. I am I don't have much to say except to indicate that as an acting minister I'm holding the fort but I'm responsible and, 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 and accountable uh, during this particular period when I'm acting. And uh, I'm acting until further notice. I've been trying by all means to acquaint myself with um, the various issues at the public service and uh, the various entities, the work which they are doing, I've been able to get the, the necessary briefing um, on the urgent issues 
and where I have to, to, to intervene. I normally say, Chairperson and members, it's good for the parliament and portfolio committees in particular to hold us accountable. Um, we always take very serious the issue of coming to this committee. We take it that whatever issues you raise, it's more about corrective measures rather than punitive measures. No matter how painful those issues are, we, we have to deal with them. And I think we are having a challenge to say our public service requires that we have qualified public servants with the relevant skills and competencies for the jobs they've been employed to do. And they must have that ethical disposition which is steeped in the Matupili principles. And the president in his State of the Nation address was very clear when he reaffirmed that government must work for the people. I think this is the biggest challenge which is facing us. So we have, therefore, all the entities under the DPSA, the priority in this administration is to build this capable ethical and developmental state. This talks then to the challenges of the various institutions. This talks to the PSC, this talks to the National School of Government. It also talks to the department it's, 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 it's itself. So, especially now that we are faced with these difficult economic times, the colleagues as we debate will remember, prior to the pandemic, our economy was going down. We were almost at a reception, recession level. Came the pandemic, we went down by 7% in terms of our GDP, losing almost 2 million jobs in a year. Whilst we're trying to recover, you would remember that there were riots in KZN and Gauden, uh, where many job, uh, jobs were lost because workplaces were destroyed. Now we're trying to recover again. We've just seen the devastation of the floods. But this demands more of our public servants in terms of the processes of rebuilding. So it means a lot for all of us. But we cannot do that if, if, if we, we were found wanting in the various areas, we do not have a proper public service, which is professional, 
in terms of instituting its task. Starting from pre-entry to recruitment to selection, issues of induction and so on. But one of the most challenging issues we have to talk about is productivity in the public service, given what we're spending in the public service. Do we have the right work ethic? Do we have the right commitments? If we demand everybody to be at school nurses, to be in the hospitals, corrections, police, what's difficult for us as civil servants to be also at work? So these are the issues which we have to talk about. Um, I just want to leave it there. And then whenever there are questions by from the various uh, or arising out of the various presentations, I would be I would be able to weigh in and uh, and also work with the colleagues in terms of responding to those questions. Otherwise, thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, I, I note something very interesting that most of your meetings are also clashing with the Wednesdays. And Wednesdays, you say, no, 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 no. That's what the cabinet has told us, the president, because it's a cabinet day. But I guess the deputy minister will always be there. And, 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 and the DG. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chair. Honorable Minister, no, we, we, we have grappled with that because uh, we are aware that uh, on Wednesday is the cabinet meetings and uh, the deputy ministers has always availed themselves to the portfolio committee. So we will not uh, have a problem with that as long as someone responsible for the department is available in the meeting if you are not there. No, no, no swamps. Thank you. Uh, whoever should uh, make the presentation, I'm giving him or her the opportunity to do so. The last presentation will be from uh, Public Service Commission. I didn't want to club the Public Service Commission together with you because it is an independent entity. <clears throat> Thank you, Rangamanda Unga Yale Lake of Funek Bamagenza presentation. Uh, good afternoon, Chair. I'm not good sure. afternoon. Okay. I'm not sure if Minister uh, had the, your request, um, but I will start. My name is Linda Luda. Um, I'm the DDG for administration in DPSA and uh, acting as the DG whilst our DG is on leave. So I will uh, take do the presentation with our CFO, Mr. Masilo Makura. Chair, if I can uh, request that I be given the right to share the presentation. 
The secretariat yes, will do that. Dante, thank you. Can you see it? Is it appearing on the screen? Yes, yes. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Okay. Let me then just uh, start by uh, greeting the Honorable Chair, Honorable Minister and Deputy Minister, um, the DGs from the other entities. Um, Chair, we have um, structured the presentation to uh, uh, go through the areas that are indicated in this page. Um, but in, uh, in particular, we'll be focusing more on what our 2022-23 APP targets are. Um, and we'll also share with the portfolio committee the amendments that we have done to our strategic plan. So just as a bit of a background, um, we have aligned uh, this uh, APP that we are presenting with our current 2022-25 strategic plan. And also um, the APP was further strengthened with the inputs that we've received from the uh, DPME, as well as the Department of Women, uh, Youth and Persons uh, Living with Disabilities. And um, as the portfolio committee is aware, our minister has been uh, assigned uh, several targets under priority number one on building a capable ethical and developmental state. And what we are indicating is that uh, even though I did mention that we've done some amendments, in the main, the strategic priorities as outlined in the 2020-2025 um, strategic plan remain the same. And uh, for this year, we have a total of 26 annual targets compared to last year's APP, where we had uh, 25 targets. Um, I will skip the slide, Chair. Um, it was just to remind us of what is the strategic overview with respect to our vision, mission, and values. They remain the same as captured in the 2020 strategic plan. Um, our mandate, which is drawn from the Section 197 of the Constitution, the Public Service Act, as well as the Public Administration Management Act, remains the same. And uh, with respect to the high-level overview of our management structure, we have got uh, the Minister, Deputy Minister, Director General, and the five DDGs that um, are heading our five programs. I will mention the programs when I actually present on the APP targets. Um, in terms of our strategic plan outcomes, we are implementing programs in line with these five uh, strategic outcomes, which is the improved implementation of Batupili, the complete implementation of the PAMA Act, uh, a stabilized public service, intensified fight against corruption, as well as the improved uh, implementation of administrative policies as issued by the Minister for Public Service and Administration. And uh, we are indicating here that um, the APP targets that we'll be presenting on are also aligned to these outcomes. It was important here to also indicate that um, as uh, the main document from which we draw 
our um, outputs for the MTSF document is the MTSF document, which is also translated into the performance agreement for our minister. The MTSF document has nine targets that our minister is directly responsible for leading. Um, I will not go through them because they are then indicated in the different APP, but it is also important to note that our minister is also supporting um, in line with the MTSF various other targets um, where there is lead departments. So the committee will uh, realize that we have not included these in the APP, but they are reflected in the performance agreements of the relevant uh, DDGs, uh, the DG, and are uh, appearing in our, our annual operational plans. But we will be providing progress on these, um, both to the minister and the portfolio committee when we come to report on a quarterly basis. And uh, they will include the resolution of reported incidences of corruption in government, the implementation of the IFMS, um, Section 139 led by uh, the Department for Cooperative Governance. Um, the biannual progress reports that are submitted to cabinet on the implementation of the MTSF. Um, the work that is being done on the establishment of the head of national administration located in the presidency. Um, five high-risk SOEs governance systems that will need to be reviewed, as well as the program to facilitate participatory governance uh, mechanisms and citizen engagement. So as I've indicated, we have five branches, which is uh, administration, human resource management and development, negotiations, labor relations and remuneration management, e-government services and uh, information management, as well as government service access and improvement. Um, I will skip the slide, Chair. Um, it's just given the back breakdown of the different sub-programs under each program. I think what is important, though, to indicate is that in DPSA, when we talk about program one, um, there's various units that are indicated under program one. Over and above the ones that we are showing here, which is financial administration, internal audit, corporate services, communication and legal services. Program one also uh, includes the office of the director general, as well as the ministry, which is the minister, uh, offices of the minister and offices of the, the office of the deputy minister. Um, the targets in program one, chair, uh, we have decided to give the committee a view of the three targets because essentially when we do the APP, we actually do the APP in line with the MTEF, which is a three-year period. So program one um, is mainly your compliance related work. And these targets are given to or recommended by the DPME for all departments for their program one. So you will see that uh, under finance, uh, we'll continue uh, monitoring and reporting on the fruitless, wasteful and irregular expenditure compliance with uh, triple PEE prescripts. It's a relatively new target uh, that was introduced for all program ones in government. 
the other new targets are the ones that um, come from the Department of Women, which includes representation of women in SMS uh, positions with the national target of 50%, uh, representation of youth at 30% target, as well as the representation of people living with disabilities. What we've indicated as DPSA um, against the national target of 2% is 2.8% because we have been successful over the past few years to exceed the 2%. So we have a targeted I higher on this one to uh, have 2.8 uh, uh, people appointed and that number growing over the outer years to 3.1 and 3.4 respectively. Uh, the 50% um, women, we've kept it at 50% because we have been struggling to meet that target internally. So um, we didn't want to um, over-target in this regard. But if we feel that in year one, we have achieved this 50%, we might in the outer years revise uh, that target upwards. Similarly, with the representation of youth, youth um, appointments in our structure, we've kept to the 30% as given by the Department of Women and Youth. So, because we haven't yet internally reached that target as well. Um, our second program is called uh, Human Resource Management and Development. And the work that would be done for 2022 to 2025 would be the issuing of a directive on mandatory in service training for the public service. Uh, this is the work, the actual delivery of this training is done by the National School of Government, but because the policy mandate is with DPSA, um, it is uh, in this regard that the DPSA will actually be issuing the directive to all departments. Um, the human resource management and development strategy was in 2021, uh, uh, 2022 submitted to cabinet as a human resource development strategy. Cabinet made a number of inputs and one of the key inputs that was made um, was that the strategy should come back to the department so that we look at a strategy that covers uh, the whole value chain of um, human resource management in uh, government. So we are currently revising the strategy to look at all the human resource related practices from your recruitment um, and then including uh, um, development. So when we talk about um, a human resource development strategy, it's a, a plan that defines how human resources would be utilized through the use of an integrated approach that includes training, organizational development, career development, etc. So the inclusion of the other elements of human resources will also start talking to the kind of um, skills that would need to be recruited, as well as your general recruitment strategies that would need to be revised in line with this integrated strategy. So the, the plan for this year is to finalize uh, that uh, strategy, the integrated strategy, submitted for approval. If approved, then in the outer year, 
departments would be trained on the implementation of the strategy and then the monitoring will then happen um, starting from 2024. We also have a target under this branch uh, for an approved job uh, competence framework. Uh, Minister in his opening remarks spoke about issues around the professionalization of the public service. So this work is done within the context of the professionalization agenda. In particular, the job competency framework um, is going to look at defining the knowledge, skills and attribute for specific jobs in the public service. The committee will remember that currently we have a competence assessment framework for SMS members, but that tends to be very generic because it doesn't actually look at the specific job, whether it's a DDG for infrastructure development, vis-a-vis -vis a DDG for corporate services um, as examples. So those would more look at the competences that are required at a particular performer level. So when you're applying for a director job, what are some of the core competences? And those tend to be more managerial than related to the actual job, like the technical aspects of the job. So the intention is to then develop this framework so that we are able to have a deeper assessment of the required competences for the different jobs in the public service. So over the three years, it, the framework would be completed, submitted for approval, departments will be trained and supported in its implementation and then in the outer year we'll start monitoring compliance to that. The last target chair under this branch is uh, ongoing work um, in line with section 16 of the Public Service Act where we are required to monitor compliance to the different prescripts um, issued by the Minister for Public Service and Administration as norms and standards um, each branch in DPSA does the quarterly reports, which are then consolidated in an annual report that looks at the annual status of compliance uh, in the public service. The next branch is um, negotiations, labor relations and remuneration management. These are the different sub-programs under that branch. Um, I will mention them in line with the APP targets. So um, the first uh, output that we have is on collective bargaining. Um, as the committee will remember this year, we are commencing again with the annual um, collective um, agreement that will need to be signed. Given that since last year, we uh, entered into an annual one compared to the previous uh, terms where we've had three agreements. But what was deemed to be important uh, this year is to come up with um, a collective bargaining policy with specific procedures um, that uh, would be part of that policy to guide the negotiation processes um, in part to just ensure that uh, some of the challenges um, and gaps that we've had in previous collective bargaining processes are dealt with efficiently. But uh, another key target for 2023 will be the improvements in the coordination of bargaining councils. Currently, we have uh, different dispensations, notwithstanding that the three spheres of government are um, independent of each other, but given that they are also interdependent and the wages, for example, and the whole array of um, conditions of service come from the same place, 
that we want to make sure that there is consistency at the level of um, bargaining so that we don't have some of the disparities that we are seeing. It's also important as we move towards a, a single public administration that we should begin to um, ensure that there is consistency um, in the conditions um, conditions of service across the three spheres because this will allow, for example, other areas of PAMA to be easily implemented where we want to look at the transfer of skills across the three spheres of government where the issues of the different uh, pay skills uh, conditions of service remains different and uh, would then impede the intention of having that easy movement of skills across the, the three spheres of government. Program one structures, Chair, over the years, there has been a concern about the bloatedness of the structures. So DPSA last year started a process of review, reviewing the structures. The Minister for Public Service and Administration issues what is called a generic functional structure, which basically will tell the department that uh, these are the functions that uh, should be in your program one. And this is how the different functions should be clustered together to justify a chief directorate, a DDG position and all of that. So a review has been undertaken so that we can confirm whether really these structures are bloated, but also to try and deal with the disparities um, that are happening across departments, especially because there is a generic functional structure that must be adhered to. So um, this project, as I said, started last year. We are hoping to complete the review report and whatever recommendations then that will come out of that will be implemented um, with the a certain number of departments that would be clustered as 12 departments uh, in the outer year and the uh, 12 departments um, in the subsequent year. The personal expenditure review chair is another key project that would be implemented under this branch. Um, and uh, it's uh, linked to the project that is called um, reviewing the cost of running public administration. And uh, it's going to look specifically at um, the cost of uh, personnel in the public service. And once this project is concluded, it will then give us data and findings that will assist the department in developing another key framework um, on the wage setting uh, for government. So for the next three years, we'll then be uh, finalizing the report, implementing, implementing its recommendations and then supporting departments in implementing that. But as I said, another project that we'll bring to our APP next year will then the actual development of the wage setting mechanism. Other people call it the wage setting um, policy for, for government, at least for uh, the public service. Um, we have on several occasions through our reporting um, brought to the attention of the committee that um, last year, we, the service provider that had developed the job evaluation system had indicated that they are leaving South Africa. And uh, then uh, there was a process uh, that was put in place to support departments in the interim because job evaluation is very is a critical step in the recruitment process because as prescribed, 
um, departments cannot advertise jobs if they have not been job evaluated. So there were interim measures that were put in place. Um, and uh, this year we are hoping that um, we'll be able to have the job evaluation uh, system uh, finalized and then supporting departments with the implementation thereof in the outer years. Discipline management is one of the key challenges that DPSA is uh, working on with respect to a number of things that are not yet happening correctly, including the long suspensions uh, that we see at a very high cost, as well as departments not being able to adhere to the times uh, prescribed periods within which they need to conclude, uh, conclude their discipline um, related cases. So the office of, of uh, what we call TAU, it is a very long name, um, technical assistance unit that deals with issues of ethics and discipline management, um, has uh, initiated the process of reviewing uh, and um, rather developing a discipline management strategy that will uh, deal with some of the issues that I've mentioned and uh, hoping to also deal and frustrate um, the resolution of cases as we have uh, still have a lot of backlog of cases that are not being finalized. So um, this is one of the key projects uh, within that context that would then be um, embarked upon with the intention then that the departments will be assisted to um, implement this uh, revised disciplinary strategy and will report accordingly to, to the committee. There has been a lot on the news recently around the lifestyle audits. Um, DPSA has last year developed the lifestyle, uh, lifestyle audit guidelines, which is going to be implemented at department level by uh, ethics officers. Um, there was a, a big workshop that was done around March in DPSA where the ethics officers as well as the senior managers and departments were brought together to take them through the guideline, what are the implications for implementation. So in 2022-23, all the departments under the Justice Crime Prevention and Security clusters will be supported to implement these audits. Um, and uh, we will then be in the outer years continuing with the support and uh, reporting on the implementation of this uh, lifestyle audits. And I must indicate that um, within the mandate of the Minister for Public Service and Administration, we will only be doing audits for public servants. Um, and not the, the political principles, that part of the lifestyle audits would be coordinated um, by the presidency. The first program that we have is e-government service and information management um, that deals with the ICT norms and standards for the public service. For this year, the targets that they'll be implementing is the digital government policy framework for the public service the digital service uh, attribute standards, as well as the public service data and informa information management directives. So um, for this year, the intention is to have all these um, approved, and then we will then be supporting departments to implement and monitor the implementation in the outer years for, for these three targets. 
the last uh, program chair is the Government Service Access and Improvement Branch or program. Um, their targets will include the institutionalization of the organizational functional assessment tool. We have over the past uh, three or so years been piloting the tool and refining the tool based on the findings um, of the pilot. So in essence, the tool is uh, intended to be used by departments for a systematic review of their organizational processes, their work environment, their organizational structures uh, to support the achievement of their strategic objectives. So it will also fall within the ambit of ensuring um, efficiency within departments and it's part of the, the value chain of um, the, the the different assessments that we would need to embark upon as governments to really test um, if the departments are really functioning in an effective and efficient uh, manner with the, the intended outcome being improved service delivery for all the departments, whether they are citizen facing or they have other government departments as their clients, such as the, the DPSA, National Treasury, and so forth. Um, another long-standing project of DPSA is the business process uh, mapping program. The MTSF has requested the, the DPSA in line with the improving the automation of uh, government systems and processes for the DPSA to look at modernizing uh, this program. So we are currently um, working with CETA to develop the, the e-enabled platform so that departments can then conduct all the relevant uh, building blocks of these um, processes online or in a, a technologically enabled uh, platform. So um, the, the intention then is to support departments in implementing um, this modernized tool, as well as to monitor its uh, implementation so that if we need to effect further amendments to the tool, we can do so based on the, the findings that we get from monitoring its implementation. But to Billy Chair, as we all know, is a very long-standing program of government. Um, but with the current MTF, uh, MTSF, the DPSA was requested to review the program so that uh, we can improve its implementation. So one of the things that we have done, we have developed standards for each particular principle. And the intention of that standard is that we must have something that is tangible for monitoring processes so that both the, the departments, when they um, manage the performance of officials with respect to them implementing or working within the framework of the Batukipili principles, but also most importantly for the beneficiaries of government services to be able to have something that they can assess the relevant departments that are giving them services as to whether they are working in line with those principles. So if we talk for about value for money, what are the different indicators that you need to look at for somebody to confirm that the service that they are given is done in a way that um, shows that there is value for money. So there is no wastages. You can take any other principle, um, courtesy, 
that uh, the service beneficiaries will have almost like a checklist that they can take and be able to give concrete and tangible feedback to those departments so that those departments can then improve the the, the way that they deliver services. So um, for the next three years, then we will continue with supporting departments as well as monitoring um, the, the, the department's implementation. What is also important to indicate is that where else before we've worked with departments individually, the approach for this year going forward is to work with departments from a sector-based approach. Because what we've learned over the years is that the different principles apply differently to the different departments based on the sector within which uh, they are working. So for health, um, for education, the same principle might need to have different indicators so that you get um, very uh, tangible assessment and uh, feedback when you're assessing whether that uh, principle is uh, effectively implemented in, in the relevant department. Next, um, the last uh, four, uh, three targets under this branch chair and uh, honorable members is the African peer review mechanism. Uh, this, the year that we've just uh, concluded, South Africa went through the second generation um, country review process. Um, and this year, the DPSA together with the NGC would be approving the National Plan of Action based on the recommendations of the review that will then to have to implement as the country. And um, over the next two years, then we'll be tracking the implementation of those uh, recommendations as they will be translated into the, the plan of action. The SDIP is also a long-standing program of government led by DPSA, again, Similar to the business uh, process mapping program will also be automating this process. And um, we have done it in a way that it has led uh, building blocks because when we talk about the SDIP value chain, it includes a number of things. It's your service delivery model, your service delivery standards that will have to be developed, your complaints, um, making a complaints reporting system. So the, the intention again here also in line with um, improving our use of technology in delivering our work as DPSA, we are also planning to um, automate this uh, process as well. And um, another key project um, from a research perspective that will be undertaking under this branch is a research study on the state of public service delivery. One of the things that we are trying to look at is whether our current uh, models and modes of service delivery in the country are relevant whether there needs to be some improvements. So for example, in other countries, both developed and developing, you are able to access um, certain, if not all public services online, but also 24 hours a day. So one of the complaints that we have received from both people that are employed um, as well as um, uh, just citizens is that the the times within which government services are available does not cater for everybody so for example if you want to go and have an id 
um, your best advice to just take leave for that day because you'll be standing in a queue for almost half a day. So what we're trying to explore through benchmarking with other countries is uh, the different models and uh, modalities that we will need to um, start uh, reviewing our current uh, service delivery processes, timelines, and all of that, and also taking advantage of the advancements in technology so that we are able to cater for all the citizens, both employed and unemployed, at a time that is convenient for them and uh, also not affecting um, people ability to be at work and to do work, but to take leave, which under normal circumstances, they wouldn't have taken thus impacting on the productivity of, of government and, and other sectors as well. Uh, Chair, I would then, uh, the, the part of my presentation ends here. Uh, through your permission, I would like to uh, then invite the, our CFO to take us through the, the rest of the presentation. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. The CFO can take the floor. Uh, good afternoon, Honorable Chair. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, good afternoon, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee, uh, the Minister, the Deputy Minister, colleagues, all protocol observed. Uh, Honorable Chair, I'm just going to deal quickly with the allocation for GPSA for this financial day, but we also highlighting also the figures uh, in the second and the outer year over the MTF. The PSA has been allocated a total budget of uh, 540 million, 222,000 for 2022-23 financial year and going up to the 567 million in the outer year. <clears throat> this uh, allocation, total allocation uh, includes, it's for the, it's the entire allocation for the vote, which includes the Center for Public Service and Innovation, which uh, their budget is indicated there at, at uh, 44 million for, for 2022 and 47 million uh, in the outer year. We indicating, Honorable Chair, and Honorable Members, the, the split of the entire budget per, per program as, as the five programs that have been allowed in the, in the on, outlined earlier on by, by, by the acting DG administration is allocated 245 million to continue to do its work um, around supporting the, the, the entire department and running the department. <clears throat> uh, human resource management allocated 53 million and 54 million the outer year. Uh, the work around negotiations, labor relations, as well as remuneration management, as well as the work uh, around the personal expenditure review. Uh, process that is taking place. Um, the budget for this financial year is 106 million 908. Um, the e-governance services and information for their work to continue <clears throat> with the work around nonsense standard in terms of information uh, technology and management in the public service uh, being allocated 32 million 342. And uh, the last program, which is program five, government services uh, access and improvement has been allocated a budget of 57 million and 753. That gives us a total of 195 million for DPSA alone. And as I indicated, uh, if we include CPSI, the, the total allocation budget for the vote is 540 for this financial year. In the next slide, um, um, 
uh, I would uh, indicate, uh, Honorable Chair. Um, Linda, if you can move to the next slide, which is slide number 25. Apologies here for it seems to have frozen. It's not moving. Trying to find another way. Yeah. Yes, in the next slide, the, what I'm indicating is the breakdown of the entire budget uh, amongst the <clears throat> or the split of the entire budget amongst the five programs. Administration, which is program one, uh, takes um, the, the big uh, chunk or slide of the pie at 45%, as I indicated, is the program that supports the entire department and um, also assist with the running of the, of the department. They, they have the budgets amounts uh, for, 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 for actually IT, um, uh, a payment of the building, uh, security services, uh, as well as internal uh, cleaners. Uh, those are budgeted under program one, as well as uh, finance, HR, uh, legal services, uh, all the corporate services <clears throat> items are budgeted under program one. The next program that takes the biggest chunk uh, is followed by the negotiations as 20%. And 19% uh, goes to governance services and access, uh, followed by the last two programs at 10%, and 6%, uh, which is human resource management and development, as well as SD governance services, uh, respectively. That's how uh, the, the budget is split amongst the five programs. In the next slide, um, uh, we indicate, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, the budget per economy classification, uh, which is composition of employees' budget, uh, which is 294 million for this financial year and going up to 303 in the outer year. That uh, composition of employees' budget takes about 54% of the entire budget of the department. Uh, this is basically because the uh, DPSA is a policy department. Uh, goods and services takes 36% of the budget uh, which is 195 million for 2022 uh, financial year and going to 208 in the next financial year. Transfers and subsidies takes 9% of the budget, uh, which is 46 million and 49 million in the outer year. <clears throat> Mainly this is for also includes the CPSI transfers. And lastly, just a percentage is for payment of capital asset at 4 million. This is basically to buy some consumables around the IT um, equipment um, and as well as some, some assets that are needed in the department. The next slide, which is slide number 27, the next five slides, uh, honorable chair, and honorable members, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with them in detail. I've already indicated the, the budget in, the, in my first slide. This is just the split per program, uh, and it indicates the sub-programs uh, relating to each and every program. And like, for example, in program one, administration have indicated the, it indicates the different offices that are hosted under program one, ministry, departmental management, which is DG's office, corporate services, um, and lastly, uh, office accommodation, and uh, those are the specific, uh, specific budgets that are allocated under program one, and it makes it goes to 245 million <coughs> um, 
uh, as indicated earlier on. The next slide gives us a breakdown of program two. Uh, program two, uh, Linda, I think you have jumped to program two, uh, which is human resource management. Uh, it's in total budget is 53 million, and uh, the sub programs are, are indicated as such in the, in the slide. I'm not going to go through them over the MTF period. The next slide, which is slide number 29, it's the negotiations, labor relations, and remuneration, which is budgeted at 106,908. And those are the different sub programs uh, and, and their budgets, uh, uh, and what it's going to be, and, and the entire work that is going to be, uh, uh, be performed under that program. Um, Program four, which is e-government services and information, the, the budget is the two million, and the subprograms are also um, indicated in the slide over the MTF period. And lastly, the slide number, the last slide, it's uh, slide number thirty-one, uh, which is government services access and improvement. Its budget is one hundred and two. <clears throat> Million, and it also indicates the sub-program, and the, that the Center for Public Service and Innovation actually belongs. Uh, it's budgeted under that program, which is Program uh, C5. That's why uh, it's 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 a bit uh, different from the first light, which is 102 million. Uh, it includes that 44 million that are indicated for under for for CGSI. Uh, honorable Chair and Honorable Members, uh, this is the budget allocation for the DPSA. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let me indicate to Honorable Members in the meeting that uh, because we want to finish the meeting in time, let me now invite the other next two presentations, which will be the NSG and the CPSI. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson. After that, after those two presentations are made, I will invite now the, the Public Service Commission to, to also make its uh, own uh, presentation. Over to you without any further waste of time. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson uh, Buchabelo Maja from the National School of Government. Our presentation chair and uh, greetings to the Honorable Minister and the Deputy Minister and Honorable Members. Our presentation will be led by Mr. Dino Kunsami. It has already been loaded, Chair, as you can see it on the screen. Once Mr. Punsami has concluded on the presentation, with your permission, Chair, we will then uh, allow the principal of the school to just highlight a few points uh, before we conclude. Uh, if I may uh, then, through you, Chair, allow Mr. Punsami to begin with our presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Good afternoon, Honorable Chair, and to the Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Greetings to our Minister, the Honorable Minister and Deputy Minister um, here with us this afternoon. Greetings to the Commissioners from the Public Service Commission and all of the colleagues from the MPSA Portfolio. Thank you, uh, Chairperson. I will 
start the presentation by just providing a context to the uh, the National School of Government uh, the 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 with regard to the annual performance plan for the 2022-23 financial year. Of course, Chair, for us, it's important to contextualize the work of the National School of Government within priority one of the sixth administration, and that is about a capable ethical developmental state. And as, as the MTSF document articulates each formation of the state, we as the National School of Government find resonance in the training interventions that we provide within each of these formations. So building a capable state requires the human capabilities and the institutional capacity. Uh, uh, you know, building an ethical state requires uh, a subscription to the values and principles of public administration and the rule of law. And as a developmental state, the participatory public administration supporting uh, an active citizenry through the particip- uh, through partnerships within all sectors of society. And for this chair, we think it's important that the work of the National School of Government through its interventions support this uh, priority. The mandate chairperson of the National School of Government is drawn from the Public Service Act, uh, as well as the Public Administration Management Act, which uh, provides the National School of Government with a mandate to provide education and training uh, across the spheres of government, across organs of state. And this is how we've articulated our role and mandate of the National School of Government is to provide the education and training opportunities to individuals uh, being the public servants, supporting institutional development uh, you know, within, within the different organs of state. Importantly here, Chase, also around fostering collaboration. We're now working on a qualification that the School of Government will be offering. And of course, uh, as one of the flagship programs of the National School of Government being the new Kela program, we're now able to conduct uh, training examinations or tests as part of a prerequisite for entry into the public service. Chair, the strategy of the National School of Government, uh, which is uh, five years, which commenced in 2020 leading up to 2025, is aligned uh, with the service delivery model for the National School of Government. And as you'll note, Chair, we have placed our value proposition at the center focusing on the learner or the public servant uh, support to the state, uh, you know, both of which need to then support uh, uh, the, the citizenry of our country. We've articulated the way in which we deliver these uh, services uh, by, by starting off with a diagnosis, uh, determining the service offerings, uh, enabling the trainings to happen, delivering this, and of course, uh, measuring the outcome and impact of our training interventions. Importantly for us, Chair, as part of a broader value-adding contribution to the delivery model, we've identified a set of uh, key factors and dimensions which we think are important uh, to support the work of the National School of Government, And here, Chairperson, there are issues such as market intelligence and data analytics, which we believe are important for us to be able to diagnose training needs within the public sector, developing the relevant content and knowledge management. And we will reflect how we are doing that currently, uh, Chairperson, through our delivery. The digital transformation is an important part for us, and we are now 
at the cusp of uh, of adopting our own digital transformation strategy, which we want to implement. We have already started elements of the digital transformation, and we believe that a comprehensive uh, strategy and framework will enable us to be able to do the 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 work of the National School of Government uh, in a much more uh, you know, sort of improved and efficient manner. Partnerships and collaboration are key for us, and we'll reflect on some of these partnerships that we have uh, that we have entered into, or that we are in the process of of engaging. Uh, the brand positioning and brand management is equally important for us as the National School of Government, and we are implementing our brand strategy. Uh, total quality management is an important area for us here at Chairperson as we look at implementing quality management across all, all products, services, standards, uh, processes, systems within the National School of Government, and of course, uh, the whole area of change management, uh, which is an important part for us. Chair, we've also gone through a process of uh, restructuring over the last year. We're also now at the phase of uh, finalizing uh, this restructuring process. And, and we, now, it, we now have a structure that is aligned to the NSG's five-year strategy as well as the service delivery model. Our vision for the, for the five-year period, Chair, is to build an ethical and capable public sector in the service of, of the people. And we do believe that we can achieve that by empowering public servants to be responsive uh, to citizen needs as well as government priorities, which can be undertaken through our ETD interventions. We have articulated five outcomes over the five-year period, uh, Chairperson, for us to, to achieve. We do believe that we are on track with, the, with achieving these outcomes. And certainly when we reflect here, Chair, on the two-year performance of the National School of Government since we've implemented the five-year strategy, looking at the first year of implementation as well as the second year, which closed now at the end of March, we do believe that the National School of Government is on track with implementing the five-year strategy. Um, and, and, and of course, importantly here to note, Chair, is that uh, like with all other government departments, we were also affected quite significantly by the COVID pandemic. So the five-year strategy was, was implemented at the start of the COVID pandemic and the national lockdown. And, and despite this, we have seen quite a lot of successes here, Chair, over the two-year period, uh, certainly in the number of uh, uh, you know, public servants or learners who have gone through the National School of Government in the first year of implementation, in excess of 43,000 learners trained, we, we, we see quite a lot of uptake in programs uh, such as Nukela, which is the pre-entry. So in the first year of our strategy, we had seen in excess of 11,000 public servants or citizens rather enrolling for the Nukela course the, uh, with regard to the ethics course. We have also seen quite significant numbers. So in year one of our strategy, in excess of 15,000 uh, with regard to enrollment and 98% achievement uh, in as far as the completion of the ethics course. We held the master classes, which has been an innovation of the National School of Government, simply brought about by the national lockdown, which, which, uh, which did hamper us in, a, in as far as uh, providing contact of, or, or classroom learning. We had to find other means to, to, you know, to provide training and we had done so using webinars and the master classes. So we had six of that in the first year, and uh, even in the second year of implementation, we did have more master classes. 
What we're seeing here, Chairperson, is uh, a significant uptake in the e-learning enrollments uh, in the first year, certainly, at about uh, more than 54,000 uh, on the on the e-learning platform. And in the last financial year, as we closed up, in excess of 80,000 enrollments uh, on the various e-learning courses that we are offering. So Nukela and the ethics course are but two of the courses of uh, you know, which we consider our flagship programs and will reflect more of these courses that we will be rolling out in the new financial year. As we closed off the financial year, we had also seen quite high numbers in our in our overall training. So our target was at 38,000. We have trained uh, just nearly 45,000 uh, learners over, over the financial year. And we think this is quite a significant number, which, which also assists us in our preparation for the new financial year. Chair, the National School of Government has two programs, uh, Program 1 and Program 2, which is what we traditionally refer to as our trade account. It is the, the, the training arm of the National School of Government. And this is where all training activities take place, but at the same time requires the National School of Government to generate its revenue to sustain itself as an entity. For Program 1, Chairperson, we have uh, a few of our targets that we have reflected, uh, more detailed information we have carried into our operational plans. But importantly for this year is to finalize uh, a total quality management framework and to implement uh, a plan around that. We, are, as as uh, uh, the acting DG of DPSA, reflected on programs such as business process modernization and the mapping processes. The the National School of Government has adopted its its own operations management policy, and we are now in the process of uh, of you know of uh, of implementing this. We already have the service delivery model, which I've reflected on. We've uh, in the last financial year finalized our service delivery charter. And in this financial year, we'll be focusing on the service delivery plans as well as other service standards uh, for the National School of Government. We'll, we will also be looking at ICT business solutions that can enable NSG operations. We've started this process in the last financial year when we looked at our systems. Uh, we are ultimately looking at how we improve the learner experience within the National School of Government. And so therefore the need for business solutions and systems to be integrated to support this. We'll be resolving all, all of the material audit findings raised by the Auditor General by the end of uh, March 2023. 20, uh, uh, we do have, as I've indicated, shared the brand and marketing strategy, which we are currently implementing. And of course, the communication interventions as far as promoting the NSG offerings, but as well as our own positioning as the National School of Government. On program two, chairperson, which is the trade account, we have a target to generate in excess of 101 million in revenue and other funding sources for this financial year. The first two years have been relatively slow. In fact, year one, we've seen very low revenue generation and quite understandable because of the lockdown. The last financial year has seen quite a substantial increase in our revenue generation from, from year one, and we anticipate that as we go into year three, this picture will change for us. We have a target uh, to train 40,460 learners uh, 
on our programs, as well as a, a program on, on how senior managers deal with all forms of discrimination. So our target for this year is to train 50% of the senior managers in the public service. And this is based on a directive that has been issued by the DPSA. As Acting DG had indicated, the compulsory framework will be finalized. We will also be implementing compulsory programs. Uh, we, we are supporting the provincial department of education working with the Department of Basic Education uh, on uh, you know, programs that support uh, different forms of discrimination. Uh, and for this financial year, Chairperson, we have a target to focus on eight uh, courses, uh, programs to be developed and quality assured. At the same time, as we are now moving into the e-learning platform, the, uh, the digital online learning, as we develop our courses and programs, we are moving them onto these e-learning platforms, which enables us to have a much more wider reach uh, to, to the learners. Our business development is important uh, part of the National School of Government. This is a unit that engages with all organs of state, uh, you know, entering into partnerships or into MOUs that, that enable the National School of Government to provide training. And from this process, we look at how they are then able to contribute to the uptake of ETD interventions. And, and, and of course, on the side of the partnerships, uh, both domestic and international partnerships, we look at how these also uh, can be facilitated and translate into actual ETD interventions and, uh, you know, and, and, and as part of the revenue generation for the National School of Government. Uh, the thought leadership platforms, uh, Chairperson, they are key for us. We have uh, five planned uh, in, in, in the financial year. In fact, we are fortunate we had uh, one of uh, these thought leadership platforms just last week uh, with Minister Mantashe. Uh, and, and of course, we have uh, on the side from our research uh, and knowledge management, we'll be developing research reports and skills assessment reports that start to inform the ETD interventions. We are also, as we had started during the COVID lockdown period, started with our case studies uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the effects of the COVID pandemic. We, we are now also documenting areas of good practice in the public sector, which could then enhance ETD interventions. And these become sort of case studies within, within the curriculum. We are focusing on the impact evaluation studies. Uh, we have started this at the commencement of our five-year strategy. So there are six programs that we are monitoring over, over the period, and, and we want to see the impacts that this will have. Uh, as part of the professionalization of the public sector, the school is also undertaking work to, to engage with functional areas, uh, you know, engaging with professional bodies, and this is work that, that we will continue. The ETD practitioners, uh, we do use a hybrid model that brings about um, uh, you know, um, independent experts who train on our behalf, as well as working in partnerships with universities, as well as you know, public servants who are, who are facilitators. We want to ensure that there is a professionalized uh, cadre of ETD practitioners or facilitators. These are class uh, training facilitators, moderators, and assessors, and we're in the process of professionalizing uh, these facilitators by also implementing a performance management system so that we are able to also look at the value that uh, the facilitators are providing to the National School of Government and certainly to the learners. 
As a training provider, the school has to maintain its accreditation status. And so on a yearly basis, we have to keep up with all requirements for accreditation and uh, we will continue doing so. And as I've indicated, Chairperson, we will be also accrediting a postgraduate qualification in this financial year uh, as part of our offering of the National School of Government. The e-learning, um, uh, you know, because of the numbers that we are seeing, uh, you know, just now over the two years in excess of 100,000 enrollments, we've now um, uh, strengthening how we manage, or uh, you know, the kind of help desk inquiries. And so there's a process and a system that we have put into place. We do believe this is now helping to support uh, those who need, uh, uh, you know, those levels of support in as far as uh, the e-learning is concerned. And linked to the the research work here, Chairperson, we will also do a perception survey to determine the learner satisfaction on ETD interventions. Now, Chair, for us to be able to achieve the targets that we have set and to deliver on the mandate, the National School of Government will be using different delivery modalities, uh, as you can see reflected uh, here, Chairperson. We're using the Zoom platform quite comfortably for our webinars and uh, uh, the Thought Leadership Masterclass series. Our employees are trained on, on, on the use of the Zoom platform, and we've been doing so quite successfully. The face-to-face -face will continue, as well as uh, what we refer to as the synchronous and asynchronous training. So in other words, uh, the e-learning, which is where you study at your own pace, uh, at your own time, register and, and, and study at your own pace, and, and that which is real-time studies through uh, virtual classes or webinars. We've also introduced uh, chairperson at the at the bottom left corner uh, in 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 working with one of the flight schools in Pretoria, uh, exposing our our executive managers on how to uh, um, uh, you know be able to implement the performance plans using the methodology of the the pilot uh, you know being able to carry out a flight plan and we use the simulated. Uh, uh, you know, sort of work to 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 get um, uh, the managers to better understand. Uh, you know, using the simulated exercise. This is an important and exciting area for us, uh, Chairperson. And we think that as we move, uh, you know, including into our digital transformation space, that this is another area that we would want to, uh, you know, be exploring. Now, some of the flagship programs for us, Chairperson, over the uh, financial year, we will continue in this rollout, uh, uh, being the ethics and the public service. And for these courses here, Chair, as we had indicated previously, in our numbers that we have reported, we are seeing that uh, it is not just the public servants. Uh, we do have educators who are taking up the ethics course. So we have a course designed for educators. We have a course designed for the internal auditors. And we continue with that rollout. Uh, know and live our constitution. We believe this is absolutely crucial for every public servant to, to get greater awareness in terms of understanding their roles and obligations in as far as the provisions of uh, the constitution is concerned. On our transformation and inclusion, Chairperson, we are dealing with uh, programs, as I've indicated, championing anti-discrimination in the public sector, which is uh, derived from uh, the DPSA circular and uh, which targets senior managers in the public service. 
Um, Leading Change by Championing Gender Equality in the Public Sector is another program uh, that we continue with the rollout. And with regard to leadership, we will continue programs such as ATELA, which is an executive education program for accounting officers, as well as the economic governance schools that uh, we have started with, which has been highly successful uh, in bringing about members to the executive, uh, to the economic governance uh, school. Um, we've introduced uh, two fairly new programs, uh, Chairperson, and uh, uh, we're pleased to, you know, to indicate that the uptake on these programs have been quite significant. The first being the induction program for boards of public entities. It's a five-day program, and uh, we're seeing quite high numbers in as far as uh, the interest in this program. And the second one being ethical leadership and executive oversight uh, program. Uh, here as well, it's a three-day contact session program that is supported by by online work before and after attendance. So these are some of the programs that we are seeing already a lot of interest, and we do believe in the new financial year. These are the programs that that we'll be able to scale up in our in as far as our delivery. Some of the other programs we continue uh, on the on the procurement and and the public finance. So so programs like contracts management and supply chain management. Chair, we will also continue with the masterclass series. As I've indicated, we do have a plan for, for five uh, masterclass series uh, for this financial year. And, and this is an interesting, uh, uh, you know, sort of initiative for the National School of Government because we are able to take very topical issues, bring on board the experts to be able to engage uh, with, you know, with public servants as, as well as with the broader society. So, so this will continue for us, uh, and it is now entrenched as part of our thought leadership uh, programs. Our partnerships will continue, uh, Chairperson. We we've been uh, we, you know we've been engaging quite a lot in terms of our partnership strategy. We do believe partnerships and collaboration is key for us as the National School of Government as we roll out uh, our training programs. These are some of the partners that we have reflected. There are more that we have planned. Uh, uh, in this financial year for engagement, and we hope that this time next year, when we come to you, you would see that there are much more across the globe that we have partnered with. Most recently, we've partnered with uh, the Brazilian School of uh, Government, uh, INAP, and uh, uh, and there's some engagements there for us on how we're able to access their programs. The World Economic Forum has also been a most recent uh, initiative with us and this this allows us through the national school of government access to a, a knowledge portal that public servants can access and use the data and the knowledge that is on these uh, platforms for evidence-based policy making and policy decisions we are continuing uh, much together with the universities with private partners we've spoken we've got the contract with the eu which ends in 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 june of this year which has been a five year program and we've we've enjoyed extensive support from the eu we we are, we are also building our depth and reach uh, with our existing universities uh, here chairperson so we have signed mous with 10 of our universities some of them already engaging with us on on some on some areas of work. What helps the National School of Government is that in 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 those instances that we are not able to provide a certain uh, training intervention, we are able to leverage off these partnerships to be able to offer. 
So, so, so this is uh, work, and in this financial year, we are going to explore how we get deeper into these partnerships and get even more value out uh, with the universities. The 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 senior fellows program, uh, we continue to use uh, the five senior fellows that uh, that we have identified, and we are leveraging off their expertise. They have been used uh, most recently. Uh, you know, we have seen them in the master classes, and we will continue to expand and grow uh, this this uh, senior fellows program uh, and and you know over the course of the year we hope that we will have many more who would have joined uh, the fellows program of the NSG. With regard to our budget uh, chairperson as I've indicated there are two programs uh, so this is the budget for program one or the vote our allocation uh, is reflected over the three-year period so for this financial year 228 million that's had uh, that's been allocated and uh, the compensation of employees under the vote uh, 59.7 million goods and services to the amount of 48 million of course from this amount we do transfer into the trade account so you would have seen that this amount uh, of 115 million is transferred off the amount that uh, that is allocated to us in addition to that, we have to generate uh, the revenue of 101 million under cost fees. And uh, so that brings the total expenses for the trade at 220 million for the financial year. With regard to our HR chairperson, as I did indicate, we have gone through a restructuring process. Uh, we are now ready to finalize uh, this with the, with the principal. The school does have 229 posts on the, on the structure. 204 of these posts are filled and 25 uh, vacant. So as at the end of March, we stood at 10.9% uh, vacancy rate. Of course, the vacancy rate has been high um, here, Chairperson, is because we paused on the filling of uh, vacant posts due to the repositioning and the restructuring in the organization, would, you know, which allowed a greater pool of uh, vacant posts for our employees to choose in as far as their placement is concerned. Now that we have completed the process, uh, we will then proceed now with the filling of the remaining posts. We do have six posts at uh, at the senior management level, and uh, those are in the process as well, Chairperson, either of being advertised, job evaluated, or, or in the interview the process. Uh, we've given a reflection of the demographic profile of the National School of Government uh, chairperson. And with regard to our employment equity, we are spending quite a lot of time working on different initiatives in the National School of Government, uh, you know, as it pertains to employment equity. Currently, as we stand, uh, we have females at 58.8% at the SMS level, 51.2%, the youth 19.1%, and this is area of work that, that we will be focusing with, as well as, uh, uh, you know, the persons with disability at 2.4%, but here again as well, work for us. So this is the detailed work that we will be doing with our HR unit to look at how we, we can improve prove uh, not just on the target but on the quality of the interventions to support um, you know our our colleagues during uh, uh, you know who are within the different uh, uh, target groups in conclusion uh, chairperson uh, i think before the principal comes in maybe just for me to reflect that the national school of government uh, has been quite instrumental working with our sister organizations the dpsa the public service commission 
the planning commission as well as um, uh, the DPME in finalizing the national framework towards the implementation of professionalization in the public sector. We have uh, been working quite hard in the last financial year to facilitate public consultations and the peer review of the framework. We're now finalizing those recommendations to cabinet uh, for adoption of the final framework. We do hope that uh, you know this will take place very soon. We're also working to strengthen collaboration with relevant institutions, uh, universities, professional bodies, so that we're able to offer series of targeted programs, part and full qualifications, and other learning experiences uh, for the you know for the uh, the public service. What is important here, Chair, is that as as part of our own process of developing the APP and undertaking our strategic planning uh, sessions, we engaged with quite a number of our stakeholders, uh, training academies, you know, across national, provincial, uh, local government. Uh, with the SOEs together with universities, and they've given us a lot to think about in as far as our own role as the National School of Government and as and as our role within the broader ecosystem of public sector education and training. And, and these have all been able to inform uh, uh, you know, the strategic direction of the National School of Government. As I've indicated, Chair, we are busy with the NSG qualification, and this year we are also preparing to launch our own suite of executive education. From an internal perspective, we'll continue to drive uh, the work that we have to to improve organizational effectiveness, and this will include the seamless functioning of our delivery mechanisms, implementing total quality management, and overall looking at how we improve the learner interface and the learner experience uh, with the National School of Government. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Thank you. Can we get the presentation now from CPSI? Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, I thought uh, the principal was going to come in to make a few inputs. I just wanted to clear that before I proceed. Yeah, you are right. No, please me. go ahead. It's, you are right. It's me. I should have given the principal first. You are correct. Lydia, Thank you. you are right. Thanks. No, no, Honorable uh, Chair and members and uh, Minister and colleagues, no, please. Uzan, you are the principal. Okay, sure. Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, no, uh, no, thanks, uh, Honorable uh, Minister and the uh, Chair and the members of the committee. No, I think she can go ahead. I will deal with some of the things later on, maybe in the question in the interest of time, uh, Honorable Chair and, and, and members. So, Miss Lydia can go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Principal. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Greetings to Honourable members and to the Honourable Minister and Deputy Minister, thank you for giving the CPSI uh, time to, to share their plans in terms of um, the strategic plan and um, the current uh, APP. Can you advise if you can see my presentation? If not, I will ask Desri to, to assist. Is it visible? <laughs> I can see it is 2020 to 2025 strategy yeah. plan. Yes. Thank I, I can you. see it. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, these are the topics that I will cover in our very short uh, presentation, uh, mindful of time. Uh, just to, for, for the benefit of, of members uh, uh, to remind them that the mandate of the CPSI, we get our mandate from the Public Service Act, 
where it locates the responsibility of public service innovation in the Minister for the Public Service and Administration. This mandate is further expanded on in the notice, uh, government notice 700 of 2011, where the government notice actually outlines the functions of the CPSI and also elaborates, uh, you know, how we operate with DPS in terms of the uh, memorandum of understanding because the D CPSI is not able to provide the full suit of corporate services. Um, this, that's our vision, um, solution-focused public sector through innovation, and we do that uh, uh, by entrenching an innovative culture and practice in the public sector. The CPSI um, in this uh, uh, financial is operating on a new budget structure, but the changes that have been effected are only at sub-program level. So that means there are no changes to the 2020, uh, 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 2025 strategic plan as advised by National Treasury. The first program that we have is program one, administration. And under administration, we have all those three uh, uh, sub-programs, executive support, corporate services, and the office of, 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 of the CFO. Program two, which is our core, uh, the program that carries our core mandate, uh, the, the purpose of the program is to drive service delivery innovation in the public sector in line with government priorities. And we do that through three sub-programs. The first one, research and development. Uh, you know, we try to establish a knowledge base in support of program. Uh, you know, research that happens there, uh, development of solutions that happens there. I will give you more information as we proceed. The second one, uh, it's called institutional support and replication. This is where we you know, we, 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 we promote the replication of innovations that we come across to avoid, you know, the reinvention of the wheel. We encourage this to be mainstreamed um, if needed to influence a policy in government. The third one is called enabling environment and stakeholder management, where we use knowledge platforms to, 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 to inculcate the culture of innovation. As you know, innovation and knowledge management cannot be separated. You need to learn from each other, you know, and, and make sure that we collaborate, form partnerships to make um, innovation uh, mainstreamed in the public service. CPSI is very, it's a very small uh, national government component. We have 30 posts on the fixed establishment and we have two interns that we've hired. Currently, we have two vacancies. Um, uh, the executive director post is vacant, but uh, it's in the process of being filled. The applications have closed. Currently, shortlisting is happening. And I hope in the next week or two, or even before the end of May, uh, interviews will be, will be, will be conducted. Uh, the HR officer post as well. We're just waiting for the appointment to be finalized. After the filling of these two posts, the CPSA will only have probably just one vacant post. As you can see, uh, that's the structure that we have, very small. Most units are run by one, two, three people. So even if administration may look big, but if you look at the functions that are performed there, you find supply chain run by only two people. You find three people working in finance. You find two, three people working in HR. We also have a CIO, which also doubles up as a, 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 a resource for program two in terms of ICT solutions, and so forth. Um, as I ind indicated, our five-year strategic plan, there's no need for us to amend. That's our impact statement. Um, 
improved effectiveness and efficiency of public service and its service delivery to the uh, public through innovation. Our We only have two outcomes, one that relates to program one, which is administration, effective corporate governance, and the program two, uh, the core business of the CPSI, innovative culture and practice in the public sector uh, entrenched. So those are the two outcomes that we have. This is just a schematic representation where we bring everything together from the vision, uh, the impact statement, outcomes, our outputs, activities, and you know all the related things that we need to make this um, bus move forward. Um, in the five years, we are already uh, on to our third year, I think this year. Uh, for program one, we had five-year targets, it's five, and for program two, it's 75. We're keeping track of our achievement over uh, uh, the five-year period. Under administration, um, we, we are doing very well. Uh, we have achieved our fifth clean audit and the fourth one in a row. I must say to honorable members, it's not an easy task, but we've been uh, 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 being able to achieve a clean audit fourth year running, and we are hopeful that we will sustain uh, the, the clean audit track record that we have um, we have we have introduced at CPSI, or which, which we have maintained at CPSI. We use a lot just maybe to share with members some of the things that we use. We rely a lot, for instance, in using a lot of checklists. Sometimes it looks like a, you know, an administrative burden, but it uh, it helps as paperwork moves from one to to the other, so that we can keep track whether we are complying with key legislation with pre. Uh, prescripts that are needed. So we've introduced a number of things that are assisting us as an organization to keep our uh, uh, clean audit record. Um, in terms of progress made, uh, we, we have already you know, delivered 17 inno innovation initiatives or enabled them. This includes, amongst others, six innovation research and development under, uh, initiatives that we've undertaken. I'll just Use an, an example in this regard, the public sector innovation rapid assessment that we did with the National Advisory Council of, on Innovation, which is a, a Department of Science and Innovation uh, 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 formation. We are also working very strongly with the uh, youth in terms of digital skills development. It's a program that we are supporting. We've worked with Home Affairs in testing a real-time service delivery solution. And so far, we've, we've enabled or sustained 20 knowledge platforms. Our annual conference and webinars, because of COVID, we had to move online. We use this conference as a springboard to form a community of practice. It's, it, when you talk about innovation, it need, collaboration becomes crucial. Partnerships become crucial. I will give you an example that after our conference last year, we had invited Bangladesh uh, to come and share their innovation journey because they're doing very well. Post the conference, we are now talking about how do we partner forward. We actually have a meeting scheduled with Bangladesh on Monday to see how we can use the South-South network on public sector innovation as a platform to take our partnership forward. Very robust innovation and design thinking workshops that we are using um, you know, to empower public servants to be able to solve service delivery uh, challenges out there. We also have an international public sector innovation program that we, we nurture, you know, you, have, you need to keep abreast of what is happening in the world. And uh, we work with the OECD, we work with APAM, uh, the African Association on Public Man Management in Af Africa. 
we work with the United Nations, we work with AU as well uh, in the you know, in public sector innovation space. So far, we've, we've uh, replicated three innovative solutions. Uh, the e-learning one that I'll talk to later on, uh, we've done some in-house digital solutions, for instance, moving the bid evaluation and bid adjudication processes online, and we intend to keep that. It's not that post-COVID or post-pandemic will then go to physical. We'll continue using the digital solutions that we have. We At, at CPSR, we, we have electronic stamps. So if there's an invoice that needs to be signed, we don't have to come to the office. We can simply move it from Pierre to Lydia to, to the CFO for payment. We sign online. So we've eliminated a lot of paperwork uh, uh, in the office, and we hope that we will in even introduce more. Vulamans as well is one of the uh, solutions that we've uh, 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 replicated recently in the last um, uh, financial year. We, we actually showcased the importance of this uh, point of use water filtration system by installing this unit at one of uh, uh, the school for disabled in the Hamaskal area. You know the problems that that area has with, with, with water. E-learning uh, will also continue uh, in terms of impact, because uh, honorable members have been saying CPSI is working in small areas, one or two schools there. So we are expanding in this financial year to go to the Northwest. We've been to the Eastern Cape. We'll also go to the Free State so that we, we, we are able to show more impact. Uh, we identify schools. I'll give an example with Eastern Cape. We went to St. John's College and Umtata High School, stronger schools, uh, schools in that Uartambo DDM uh, pilot site, so that they become an anchor for under-resourced schools around them. That's the model that we want to explore in that area. These are some of the, as I think I've already mentioned this, um, uh, public sector innovation rapid assessment that we did with Nike. Um, we've done case studies. The recent one, I want to focus on the SAEU dialogue series that started in the last financial year. We're working with the, CP, with, with the DPSA and VETS, um, um, Governance School of Governance, with the Danish Agency for Digitization. The idea there is that we want to use this uh, uh, SA Dialogue Series, which will continue in this year, to support our sister department. They are very active in the, in the Dialogue Session uh, Series to assist them to draft the policy that uh, the Action DG spoke, spoke about about the digital journey in the public service. So it, it, it helps um, because uh, there, there's evidence-based research development, oh, so, so the policy development that we are, we, we are using. So it's, it's one way of showing that in the MPSA, we do work together. We work with the NSG as well, you know, in, in some of the programs that they are running. Um, I would like to move um, to... The next slides are just showcasing some of the development initiatives that we are, we, are, we are developing. Focusing on the Northern Cape Online Tucson Center, we started work in the previous financial year, but this will continue. We've held a workshop with them, a design thinking workshop, where we are using design tools to help them refine the design of the solution. A lot of work has been done already. Uh, other phases will follow in this uh, financial year. And we are hopeful that once it's implemented in Northern Cape, GCIS is there, we, we, DCDT is there, uh, DPSA was part of the workshop as well, so that we can use this as a model 
to, 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 to inform the development of similar online two-song centers in other pro- provinces. We know the challenges that we face with the physical two-song centers, issues around infrastructure. Uh, I mean, in, in Northern Cape, they were saying some of the two-song centers don't even have, you know, laptops, tools of trade. People use them to come and just print a Z83 rather than for real services. And I think this will, will go very well with the, what the DPSA is planning to do in terms of making sure that as many as po- uh, uh, services as possible go online to make life easier for, for our citizens. The next one uh, also will go into the 2022-23 is the, we are approached by Gauteng, EMS, uh, to, they had an idea about a patient transport e-hailing system. We're working with that, with them. We've co-designed with them, and this will continue in terms of piloting in this um, uh, financial financial year. The key program, another key program that we ran, as I've indicated, is the engagement with youth developers. We work with uh, youth organizations uh, to so that we can tap into the entrepreneurs, youth who come up with solutions to solve service delivery challenges. One such were, um, uh, uh, hackathon that we held was uh, the PSI Head 22, uh, where we had a number of youth developers coming up with solutions or hacking for solutions in specific areas. And one of the challenges that we presented during that PSI Hack 22 was a, a problem around linen uh, provision at Edenvale Hospital. M- honorable members will know that Theater time is it's very critical that when you've booked operations, they must happen when you've booked them. You can't have shortage of linen making doctors to cancel an operation. It might look as a, a something that is not important. Even if your, your instruments are sterilized, but there's no linen, the operation will be canceled. So Eden Vale reached out to us to bring youth to help them come up with a solution in terms of how they can make sure that they never run out of theater linen to make sure that uh, operations happen on time and uh, resources are not wasted. It's just an example, but we've, we've participated in many of, of, of such uh, hackathons, specifically with the Kid Culture. It's a, a, a youth organization that we work with a lot as CPSI. Um, the e-learning solution I referred to is this one that we've we started with Katlehong and Reicher Park. Now we've moved to Eastern Cape will be moving to other areas, uh, but it has been a, a, a very good integration platform to make sure that as teachers, students, you know, parents are able to go on the platform and, 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 and monitor. Uh, you don't have to fill in registers, so it removes the administrative burden from the teachers. As you come in, as students log onto the uh, application, the teacher already knows who's there, who's not there. So it has actually helped, um, you know, the uh, educators to minimize the administrative uh, burden. They don't have to print piles and piles of papers and assignments. You load everything, videos, so that the, 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 the learners can view whenever they, ha- they, they want to. They can actually view content at any time of the day. So it's not limited to, to the classroom. Another beautiful thing is that you can have a teacher in one school giving a, a lesson to a number of uh, students or learners in a number of schools. So it has that element, uh, and we're supporting this project uh, uh, to make sure that uh, as many schools as possible benefit from this e-learning 
platform. That's just an example when I was with the former deputy minister when we launched um, this solution in one of the schools in that other um, uh, uh, school. The Vulamans, I think I've spoken about it. Uh, I, I, we just thought we'd still need to, to remind uh, honorable members that COVID, you know, it's, it's still causing, has an impact on how we deliver our mandate. We need to be on site, two hospitals, to a police station, to a home affairs. Uh, but once there are, were restrictions, we were also held back a bit in terms of or supporting departments in this regard. But we were able to, man we, we managed to do some of our projects despite the impact that um, COVID had on everyone. Moving on to uh, targets for uh, this financial year, um, we, 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 in terms of uh, uh, the, the effective corporate governance is program one. Uh, our target stays the same. Uh, even in outer years, it might look not complicated and simple, but if you go behind what needs to be done for you to get an unqualified audit opinion, one will understand that we've tried to uh, you know, scrunch our targets so that they should not be us. The same would go for you know, innovative culture and practice in the public sector. Uh, in terms of research and development, we have four initiatives that we want to, to, to undertake within the, 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 the year, the current uh, financial year. Uh, number of platforms sustained and nurtured. Um, we have nine of them, even in outer years. And the number of uh, uh, solutions for replication is two annually. I just want to indicate as well that why we're keeping them the same is that with the review of the CPSI, we, we want to to increase capacity in program, uh, in, in research and development and replication. Traditionally, the CPSI has been focused mostly on, uh, you know, branding itself and strengthening the knowledge platforms. But we are moving with the, this strategic plan. We're trying to shift. We've moved, we started to move resources to support, you know, research development and the replication of, 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 of innovative solutions while we are maintaining the knowledge platforms. Um, those, the, the slide just indicates what we plan over the quarters. I'm not going to go into detail in terms of what we're planning there. In terms of the budget, I think the CFO for DPS has already indicated that they do a transfer to us. I just need to also emphasize that the money that comes from Treasury is ring fenced for CPSI. So the DPSA just receive the money, they would then allocate to CPSI on a, I think it's a quarterly basis, send us money for us to spend because the CPSI has its own accounting officer. Uh, but the, uh, we were told by National Treasury that the plan is that all the national government components should start to receive their own allocation directly from National Treasury. But as it is now, uh, DPSA receives money for, uh, on our behalf like they used to for NSG. I think in the last financial year, NSG now receives directly. Then CPSR then would decide how to spend the money. We account uh, to National Treasury in terms of the expenditure. We go through the same you know, audit processes with the Auditor General and so forth. This year, we have about just 44.5 million uh, for everything. Um, moving to 45 and then to 47 in the outer year. As you can see, uh, the split is almost 50%. Uh, 
Um, below is the economic classification in terms of showing how much you're spending on compensation and goods and services. In the next slide, it just um, indicates the percentages. As you can see, with uh, executive support is the lowest. Uh, that's where the executive director post is. Corporate services at 26%, uh, 15% for OCFO, R&D, 16%, uh, uh, ISR, 12%, stakeholder management and enabling environment standing at 23% at the moment. Uh, the split in terms of economic classification, similar to DPSA as well, uh, compensation of employees standing at 54% with almost 39% for goods, goods and services. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Lydia. Can we now get the, the opening remarks of the Public Service Commission? Can I invite the acting chairperson to make his uh, opening remarks before the presentation? Thank you very much, chairperson, for this opportunity and uh, honorable members of the Portfolio Committee. Uh, our Minister uh, of Public uh, Service and Administration and Deputy Minister and uh, the heads of different institutions that have uh, uh, attended the meeting. Uh, first and foremost, let's thank the Portfolio Committee for giving time to go through a workshop which was held at the PSC office where we were reflecting on the mandate and some of the policy uh, reforms which are to take place. And let's also thank you for expediting the process of appointing three commissioners who will be joining us at national as soon as the president has signed. And the one last one that you'll be going through the process. What we are presenting today it's uh, our annual performance plan and our reviewed uh, strategic plan. And the DG will be making that presentation. As we prepare to make that presentation, I want to say that we're meeting at unusual times as a country. As the minister was saying and enlisting, the disasters the country has gone through, economic shrinking and downgrading, followed by COVID-19, followed by the riots in July last year, and followed by the floods and disasters we see now, which means whatever we do, greater coordination of our efforts as institutions which may have overlapping aspects of our mandates becomes imperative, but also creating a disaster resilient uh, public service will be one of the key innovations that we should collectively be thinking of. In our APPs, as the DG will highlight, in our monitoring and evaluation, we were quite deliberate in targeting some of the departments and institutions such as public works, as well as the ICT CETA, 
because what we're getting from different departments in our mandate of looking at efficiencies and effectiveness of public service, we realize that with poor ICT support, that affects all departments, more so when they have been given a sole responsibility to deal with that particular aspect of providing reliable and effective technical support on ICT matters. Secondly, the public works, which is our main major landlord. Again, issues of compliance and issues of building, given the health hazards that were faced, and I assume that even with the floods, similar issues will be raised. We were found wanting in many respects. So monitoring and evaluation of these will have a catalytic impact if and when we begin to address the issues at hand. And also I would like to end by saying there are a number of policy reforms which my colleagues from DPSA have also alluded to. Among those is the PSC Act, which is meant to reaffirm what the framers of our constitution, when they were creating If I may be permitted to start with the presentation, this is Dinky Dubedet, a DG of PSC. We can't hear Chair. Thank you, Chairperson. I just needed to get uh, direction from the, the Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee whether we can proceed with the presentation as we seem to have lost our acting Chairperson in his opening remarks. Hello, Chairperson. I got uh, kicked out. I'm not sure whether now I'm connected. Yes, we can hear you, sir. We can hear you, Prof. Am I audible? Yes. Yes, Prof. Uh, the Chairperson has just also uh, uh, um, has a slight error, but I'm going to uh, uh, ensure that he's joining. I got kicked out. I'm not sure whether I'm audible as I'm about to hand over to the DG to make a presentation. I'm not sure if I'm audible. 
We hear you Maybe well. I should not have mentioned the issue of ICT infrastructure <clears throat> because it suddenly wanted to demonstrate. You can hear me. You can hear you, Dr. Maybe I should not, uh, honorable members, have Yeah, your problem is to mention ICT. Once you say ICT, it goes off. Yes. Thank you very much, Acting uh, Chairperson, for the opportunity to give this presentation. Committee members, uh, as well as the minister, I'd like to observe the protocol as provided by the acting chairperson of the PSC. My name is Dinky Dube, the DG of PSC, and I will be providing the presentation on the PSC five-year straight plan, as well as the APP. By, by way of um, the outline of the presentation, if uh, committee members can take note that uh, we've moved the slides a bit so that it can... Uh, Chair, there's somebody, who's on another, there's somebody who's on another platform. <laughs> Which is disturbing us here. I don't know who that person is, but he or she. Jefferson, can I get confirmation if you can hear the PSC's presentation so that I can yes. proceed? Yes, we Thank can you. hear you, but there was an intruder that disturbed you oh okay okay no thank you chairperson for that confirmation we were just concerned that it may be happening here thank you chairperson by way of the presentation outline these are the topics that are covered in the presentation committee members will take note that we have just moved some of the slides the one on overview of budget and expenditure estimates will present last so that then it allows for better flow of the presentation. We will start off by focusing on the five-year stretch plan, move on to the APP, and then end on the budget. Thank you. By way of introduction, it's, it's, it's important to note that the PSC in doing the work that it does and uh, in executing its mandate, contributes to priority number one of the MTSF, which is building a capable and ethical developmental state. During the period under review, the stretch plan has had to be revised so that then we ensure that there's proper alignment between the stretch plan and our APP. I'll be taking the members through so that we will um, see where we've made the revisions. When we get to the APP, we will also reflect and, and talk a little bit about the 25 annual targets 
that um, are contained in the APP, which is the work that the PSA will be doing in the current financial year. In crafting the straight year plan, as well as our annual performance plan, we've taken note of the current environment that we operate on, firstly being the population growth that has been reported by SSSA, which is estimated as just a little over 60 million. And as a PSC, we um, uh, recognize that, uh, of course, the, 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 the growth in population results in the increase in demand for government services. And of course, for that as a PSC, because our mandate is so wide that uh, we, um, we, we, are, we are, in terms of the constitution, mandated to investigate public administration, so when the population grows, it means that the potential client base of the PSC also increases. What it also means for the public service is that it, it needs to be much more agile and adaptive to the ever-changing environment. The PSC, as you've heard members earlier from the colleague from NSG, has contributed quite significantly in the development of the professionalization of the public service, the framework, and the PSC continues to work with strategic partners, for example, your forum of institutions supporting democracy in order to ensure that we um, execute the mandate successfully. The continuing on the current environment that we operate on, we um, have taken note of the effects and impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and the demands for government services during that uh, a, a pandemic, as well as the need for government to utilize the uh, benefits and opportunities of uh, technologies that are introduced in terms of the um, fourth um, IR. And uh, Chair, also during this period, PSC has taken note on, on the number of investigation reports that have indicated the failures in terms of governance and ethical um, a systems failure within the public service. And uh, the, the PSC crafted its, its strategic plan and APP by taking into account that uh, situation yes, and, and environment that um, the public service um, exists in. Why from officials If I may then move on, Chair, to the areas that we've revised in our stretch plan. The first one is really the vision and mission and values of the PSC. And, and what we're projecting there is the revised vision and mission of the PSC as well as the values. It was important for the PSC to revisit its vision and mission as part of the repositioning of the PSC, and as well as ensuring that uh, the values that uh, our, our employees ad adhere to are in line with not only the constitutional mandate of the PSC, but also talks to the code of conduct. What we have projected at the chairperson is just at the high level, the strategic focus of the PSC. And perhaps one should just highlight that in terms of the ultimate outcome in doing that, uh, which we do as an organization, we want to to see an improved service delivery culture in the PSC. And ultimately the impact should be that uh, there should be a responsive eth ethical and values driven public service that responds timelessly, efficiently and effectively to the needs of the citizens. On the strategic planning outputs, uh, members, you note that we've got three 
strategic outputs in terms of our outcomes. The first one being an improved service delivery culture in the public service. We note and intend to, in the next five years, to see a change in the processes and how government conducts its business, at least six change processes. And we also want to see a 100% improvement on the management of actual and potential conflict of interest for SMS in the public service. The second outcome, which is also externally focused, is to see that there is sound leadership practices in the public service. And in terms of what the PSC plans to do is um, by end of year five, we plan to have had 30 strategic engagements on the findings and recommendations from the PSC. This is quite a critical intervention, uh, Chairperson and members, because as you note in the constitution, the PSC recommendations are not legally binding. Um, if you compare, for example, with other constitutional bodies as um, uh, like the public protector. And so these strategic engagements will ensure that at the level of um, the executive authorities, ministers, commissioners will be engaging with. And of course, we want to um, utilize strategic platforms like Foresight to ensure that the departments do implement the recommendations of the PSC. And uh, during the five-year plan, with regards to the ethics management framework, we want to see that it is institutionalized within the public service. And so we plan to, in the first two years of the five-year, to conduct ethics survey with uh, the remaining uh, governance clusters being uh, the social, economic, and governance. And then in year three and five, we'll of course want to have feedback sessions in order to ascertain whether or not um, those uh, improvements have been affected. The last um, uh, outcome three is really inwardly focused. As a PSC, we have a data warehouse where we collect through our monitoring and evaluation system. Right, we collect data my, my, that really... My apologies, Chair. My apologies. Can you call in order this CSS, this CCS Mutipe? Is, is that from here? Yes, it keeps on uh, flashing on that person and disturbing the presenter. Okay, I was not aware. I was. Mutipa, can you take care of yourself, please? Thank you, Jefferson. Just to uh, conclude on the last outcome of our five-year stretch plan, it is inwardly focused as a PSC. We want to ensure that all our data collection platforms, not only in terms of the data warehouse, which is housed within our program three monitoring and evaluation, but our integrated grievance and complaints management system is properly aligned in order to ensure that we provide accurate data as we analyze the trends and practices within the public service. Of course, by year five, we also want to ensure that there's 60% improvement in the implementation of the PSC's recommendation. Moving on now, Chair, to the annual performance plan. We've got 25 performance indicators and they are divided according to the four programs, as members can see. Program one has got seven indicators, uh, program two, six, and uh, the remainder is dis distributed across the, the, the two programs. 
Perhaps what is key to highlight on uh, program one, because the indicators are self-explanatory, is uh, the need to maintain an un unqualified audit report. The PSC has in the last uh, two years and, and for two years in succession received a clean audit. Of course, we would like to ensure that that record is maintained. Perhaps it's also important that uh, we touch on the um, efforts that the PSC will be uh, putting in place this financial year in terms of our uh, assessment of our productivity. Our colleague from DPSA has mentioned it, and as a PSC, we want to um, start implementing the productivity framework as developed by PSA. Um, at the PSA, we hope that by the end of the financial year, we will have a report on what our producti productivity levels are as a, as a public service commission. On program two, which really its main purpose is to promote sound public service leadership, human resource management, labor relations and labor practices. These are the um, indicators for this target. Uh, the first indicator, Chair, you'll note that uh, the target is now 85%. We have revised and adjusted the target upward from um, what we had in the previous financial year, being 65. We now want to ensure that by the end of the financial year, we have resolved 85% of the grievances that are lodged by levels 2 to 12 within 30 days. Equally, for the SMS grievances, we want to ensure that 85% of, of those are resolved within 45 days. Now, on the number of reports, that um, research reports that will be developed under this program, we've identified three. You will note that professionalization remains um, a, a key uh, for us. We want to, by the end of this financial year, just to provide the PSC perspective. But as I indicated, the PSC has contributed to the professionalization framework that has been driven by the uh, NSG. The other critical report is really to start reflecting on to what extent is the remote and hybrid um, working arrangements um, affecting uh, affected productivity and service delivery in, in the public service. So we hope that that report will assist the PSA as they develop policies around the hybrid working environment. Continuing on the targets for um, program program two is ultimately, and the end goal really is for the Public Service Commission to see a reduction in the number of grievances that arise within the public service, because that is an indicator of a system that works efficiently. Sorry, Nozipo, can you, and Nozipo, can you hear me? Your, your, and your to the benefits of the public service. On the screen. Can you address that, Nozipo, please? The slides are not moving on the screen. Can you please address that? Yes, Chairperson. Okay, uh, thank you, Chair. It was moving in hours. But uh, perhaps just to finish off, Chair, on the targets for leadership and, and the practice uh, management is that we want to see a reduction in the grievances that are lodged with the PSC because we see that as a measure of success and an indicator that the uh, public service is working for public servants. So the target at the end of the financial year is a 4% reduction in grievances that are lodged with us.
We are also um, uh, planning to have 10 engagement, strategic engagement on the PSC's recommendation. You would have noted earlier, I've indicated that by end of year five, the PSC plans to have 30 engagements. And so this current financial year, we start with 10. And, and engagements and then we will also be producing three reports that really look at the management of grievances and the grievance uh, procedure within the public service. If I may then move to program three, which is monitoring and evaluation, is the main purpose really is to uh, uh, focus on uh, monitoring the effectiveness in the public service and to ensure that the functionality of the public service through institutional and service delivery evaluations um, work. The, the target in terms of what we plan to do on the change systems and processes, the acting chairperson has indicated that part of our mandate is to monitor within the public service the effectiveness and efficiencies uh, as the constitution dictates. And so through this program, we want to release two reports that really are looking at public administration practices. We will also be conducting a number of service delivery inspections, the target being 10. The PSC will ensure that in all the nine provinces, at least each province will produce one service delivery inspection report, as well as the work um, of the commissioners that are based in the national office. So um, all in all, we should uh, then be reporting to the committee on 10 uh, uh, service delivery inspections. What's also critical about the work that will be done under monitoring and evaluation is interaction with uh, communities and to ensure that we have an active uh, citizenry. And so the uh, Public Service Commission will be holding what we term the Citizens Forum. Uh, this is uh, an event where the PSC not only will conducting an outreach, uh, uh, talking to community members about their role and responsibilities, but will be inviting critical service delivery departments to be part of it. So we'll identify a community where there is a dire need to access government services and, uh, and they will be invited on the day so that then um, those uh, um, uh, community problems that can be resolved on the day um, are resolved. I mean, I wanted to make an example of a, an event that we have had in the Eastern Cape where um, a community was identified which doesn't have um, access to, for example, your Department of Labor or Home Affairs. It's a community that has a high unemployment rate as well as a number of um, socioeconomic problems. And so on the day, the PSC successfully um, held the uh, Citizens Forum where you had departments such as your Home Affairs, Department of Labor interacting and resolving some of the community problems um, on, on the spot. And so the plan then is to continue and roll out this program in all the nine provincial offices. And, and perhaps what one should also indicate, one of the key um, uh, pro uh, projects that we have identified is um, to evaluate the effectiveness of the forensic science laboratories because of the reported number of backlog of cases, which uh, also um, impacts on the finalization of the criminal justice system. Uh, uh, we've had a number of reports about how um, cases uh, involving GPV um, get delayed because um, of um, the forensics that still have not been completed. And so the PSC will be um, conducting uh, evaluation in, in, in that uh, sector. 
And of course, the constitution uh, requires the PSC to produce the annual report in terms of section 196, subsection 4E, and we will continue to do so this financial year. A part of the critical mandate of the PSC is the promotion of the constitutional values and principles that are contained in section 195 of the constitution. And so the target is for PSC to engage with at least uh, 20 uh, public service departments in terms of the promotion of, of the CVPs. We will also, uh, by the end of the financial year, uh, produce four reports with departments that will be identified by uh, utilizing the data that we receive in our data warehouse on the performance of um, uh, 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 departments in overall. There's already one department that we have identified and uh, certainly the, the team will, will start um, um, conducting um, the assess assessment of the effectiveness of, of that particular department. And then we will be producing four reports at the end of the financial year. The acting chairperson had uh, indicated in his opening remarks um, uh, the uh, two critical projects that have been identified with the PSC uh, plans to assess the effectiveness of government support services which is uh, focusing on accommodation and property management by public works as well as the ICT sector by, by the CETA. Thank you, Chairperson. That then concludes our APP targets for Program 3, which is monitoring and evaluation. The last program is, we have is on integrity and anti-corruption. I believe the name is quite self-explanatory on what the program does, but it is also responsible for undertaking those public administration investigations, promoting a high standard of professional ethics, which is an important and critical constitutional mandate, and of course, uh, contributing to the prevention and com combating of corruption through hosting our national anti-corruption hotline. And uh, the, the, the target for investigation members, you will see, is also one of the targets that we have revised uh, upwards. And so the PSC plans to uh, complete 75% of public administration investigations, investigation as well as uh, your um, uh, maladministration type uh, investigation or service delivery failures type investigations within 90 days of receipt of a valid complaint. So we want to make sure that the, the, the determination of validity is done expeditiously so that the um, the, the PSC is able to complete those investigations within 90 days. Another important uh, constitutional mandate of the PSC is over and above um, receiving uh, complaints from members of the public because they can approach the PSC directly. We're also mandated to um, conduct our own accord investigations. And so during this financial year, we will be um, conducting too. So we will identify the uh, critical systemic uh, deficiencies within the public service and then proactively initiate those investigations. And uh, on the implementation of the ethics framework, we will of course continue to produce the annual reports as um, it is expected on a financial disclosure framework, the management of complaints during, uh, including the complaints that are, re are received um, under the National Anti-Corruption Hotline, and of course the financial misconduct uh, complaint. A, a lot of work um, uh, has currently been done around the um, engagement of professional ethics, and maybe just starting with the last indicator. 
uh, where we have identified three engagements that the PSC plans to do um, during this financial year. Uh, so far, and as at the end of uh, April, uh, end of April 2022, we've already um, has uh, uh, have implemented one. Um, engagement, which was the seminar uh, and the webinar that uh, the PSC um, held with um, the topic improving governance systems and processes in the public sector, uh, taking into account the outcome of the Commission of Inquiry on, on allegations of state capture, corruption and fraud in the public sector, and what the implications of the public service um, is. This was quite a successful event because we had members of, the, of academia, the um, leadership, senior leadership in, in government. We had civil society as well as institutions supporting democracy, all of them reflecting on what is it that needs to be done to ensure that uh, the governance system and, and ethical failures within a, a government um, is improved. We'll, of course, be uh, continuing through the work that we do to promote uh, the adherence to professional ethics within the PSC. Thank you very much, um, uh, members, uh, for, for, for that opportunity. I'd like to call my colleague, the Chief Financial Officer, just to take us through on the budget and expenditure um, estimate. But uh, before he, he comes in, perhaps it's just important for me to give this uh, um, a quick uh, a synopsis on what our budget for 2023 looks like. We have a total budget of 200 and just a little um, over 288 million, of which 75% is allocated uh, to compensation of employees. If um, members can oh, also take note that compensation for, of employees. Sorry for interruption. Uh, Sal, okay, Honorable Minister. You have been complaining about us. The slides not moving. We are not seeing it. It's getting into another presentation. We are not seeing the slides. Yeah, I've, I've addressed that, but there is no movement in that regard. I don't know what's the problem. Because of Professor whoever Fugini. is controlling this uh, must make the slides move. It's because Professor Figani talked about ICT in government, which is one of the worst things. Okay. Uh, Maybe somebody can help us. Nozipo, can you address that? Okay, Chairperson, yes, we are indeed uh, trying to address it. Okay. Can members confirm if you are seeing now the slideshow? We've just moved the slide on the budget. Yeah, yes. Now we can see. Okay. We can Thank see you. it Thank now. You very much, overview Judge. on budget and expenditure estimates. Yes, indeed. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. So my colleague, the CFO, Mr. Zuelimo Mega, will be taking us through the budget. But as a preface to that, um, I thought I should just highlight uh, to members that uh, 
of the 288 million budget, 75% of those is allocated for compensation of employees, um, a total being 216 million. And the 24% uh, of the budget is really on, on goods and services. As you know, the PSC is a knowledge-based uh, organization we do the work ourselves and so that's why a large percentage of our budget goes to compensation of employees but of course because of the big establishment in in terms of having the provincial food a footprint our goods and services budget also goes to paying for the operations in the provinces um Jefferson, i would like to thank members for the opportunity and request my colleague the cfo to take us through the rest of the slides. Thank you. Zueli? Zueli, you are muted. Unmute yourself, Zueli. We can't hear you, Zueli. Can you call it, Zueli? And there's going to be a load shedding at five o'clock. We will have prob more problems. Chairperson, perhaps if I can just complete the rest of the slides, because I've already given you a, a high level overview on how our budget, um, uh, on the allocation budget. So what we are projecting here is really the distribution of the budget across the, um, the, the number of programs. You see that the biggest portion of the budget goes to administration, but that is only because um, the, the, the budget with relates to other um, support services is centralized within um, the administration, um, which is a program one. And the, the remainder of the budget is then distributed across um, the, 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 the different uh, programs. Chairperson, we are open to um, hear the questions at the end of the presentation. And uh, my colleagues um, are here to assist uh, in answering the question, as well as the CFO, who I believe is still um, uh, working on um, connecting. Thank you very much, uh, committee members, for the opportunity to give this presentation. Thank you. 
we will now open um, for members to make comments or questions on all the presentation made. Uh, I'm not going to give a, a particular order in terms of how you should ask questions. You can ask anywhere from the three, those uh, uh, presentation uh, given so far. Thank you very much. Can I see if members want to to speak? My hand is up, Chair. I can see you, Honorable Kibi. Yes, Chair. May and I? then it will be Honorable Maneli after you and Honorable Gondwe. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Chair. Good afternoon and afternoon to all the members and the colleagues. And let me appreciate the presentation by the presenters. Uh, Honorable Chair, uh, I'm on NSG. I just want to know, does development of an NSG qualification mean that the school will be commencing with awarding certificates or degrees on its own without collaboration? with other institutions of higher learning. My next one is, if the, the present vacancy rate is due to budget uh, sailing on compensation of employees, how will the school fill the vacancies in it presently has? The next one is, has the school determined whether or not it uh, derives value for money by hosting thought leadership uh, platforms or seminars? If so, what is the value of that? <clears throat> On DPSA, Honorable Chair, is it not too late to table the upcoming bills in Parliament by the fourth quarter of 2022-23, instead of earlier, so that by the end of 2023, this will be operational already. What is the rationale behind the decision? My next one is, what are the challenges that led to the need to revise the human resource management? and development strategy was a buy-in sought with organized labor and what was their response? The next one is, what will happen to employees who occupy positions in which they fail the job competency framework? My last one, on will the guidelines on lifestyle audit be watertight and thorough about employees living above their pay structure as well as 
to not embarrass employees inheriting financial and property benefits from their parents or family or whoever uh, that they can inherit something from. To CPSI, uh, does the CPSI derive value for money concerning the knowledge <coughs> platforms like the annual public sector innovation conference and uh, webinars, as well as the innovation and design thinking workshops. The next one is after successful prototyping uh, of a virtual uh, to song center and a service monitoring system. <clears throat> that happened in the Northern Cape, will this innovation also be targeted at deep rural areas where people uh, uh, travel long distances to access uh, public services? Yes, yes, Chair, I think those are my questions. Thank you, Chairperson. Sorry, maybe I might not be quite clear. It's not very easy to speak. Thanks, Chair. Honorable Maneli. Thank you, Chair. Afternoon, Honorable Members. Uh, also in appreciating the, the presentations that are done in this afternoon, I'll only have a few questions, Chairperson. Probably with the, the National School of Government, with this ICT business solution that enables NSG operation being put in place, is the school becoming comfortable with digitization of learning platforms? if these were to be the only available ones to execute the school's mandate. Also, in terms of the NSG brand and marketing strategy, what is entailed in the brand and marketing strategy? My last question, Chair, will be in terms of the CPSI. Uh, will the research study on the state of public service delivery focus on identified departments or the entire public service? Is it, a, is it is one year enough to conduct such a massive study? Thank you, Chairperson. Last below, can I come in? Chairperson? Chairperson? Yes, you can come in, Honorable Kondo. Thank you, Kia I have a number of questions for the NSG um, GPSA and the Public Service Commission. Let me start with the NSG. Um, I'm encouraged to see that in their mission, um, you know, they, they aim to empower public servants to be responsible to the needs of citizens and, and, and government priorities. And I wondered whether they had contemplated coming up with a course that would specifically try to capacitate and empower public servants when it comes to disaster management. Um, you know, Chairperson, you'll know that, you know, there's been um, flooding, um, recent 
recently in KZN and it's had such catastrophic consequences for the people of KZN and some of them are still trying to rebuild their lives up to now. And I wondered whether you know the NSG had comp- contemplated looking into coming up with with a, a course that would specifically speak to um, disaster management. I mean, the reality is that climate change is upon us and you know, we have to gear up as a government um, to be able to, you know, to, to meet um, the needs that come with, with the impact of climate change. And my second question to NSG um, is um, around the, the, the learners that it's trained. You know, um, for example, um, it, it indicates in, in, in its presentation that it's uh, trained 43,411 learners against an annual projected target of 26,040, which denotes to 166% achievement, and um, also trained 44,498 learners against an annual uh, projected target of 38,270, which denotes 116% achievement again. And I wanted to find out uh, um, whether um, a better indicator wouldn't be so much how many people have enrolled for their courses per se, although that's important, but rather the impact of those courses on, on, on the public service and what's happening on the public service, whether they, um, you know, how, how they're able to gauge whether the courses that are offering are having an impact, a significant impact on the face of the public service. Because my concern sometimes is that there's a disjuncture you know, in terms of, of, of the courses being offered. And, and we, we really need to see them having an impact on the ground and, and changing the state of the public service and, and, and public servants. Um, my third question um, is around um, the funding model of the NSG. I want to get an update on uh, what's happening around that because we've always harped on the fact that it needs to develop its own funding model a sustainable funding model, and, and, and it's got to engage Treasury around that. So I want to get an update on what the latest um, is around that. And then um, with regard to training of senior management managers in the public service, I wondered whether um, it would not be important for the NSG to look into training senior management within the public service to be able to deal with some of the issues. And in in particular, I think I'm talking about consequence management because my worry is that um, we do not see a lot of consequence management in the public service. There is fruitless and wasteful expenditure. You know, there's public servants that are uh, receiving grants, but there are no consequences for such misdemeanors um, in the public service. And I wondered whether, uh, you know, what the NSG thought would be, what, what role they saw themselves playing in terms of helping address this issue of, of a lack of consequence management in, in the public service. Um, okay, um, all right. And then um, my next set of questions are directed towards the Public Service Commission. Um, under the discussion of, of, of the budget and expenditure estimates for the 2020-2023 financial year, you know, they indicate in their presentation that 75% of the allocated budget goes to the compensation of employees. This effectively means that the remaining 25% is then, um, you know, uh, left for other things. And I wondered whether, whether you know, 
I, I, for me, that, that presents somewhat of an anomaly, although I take the point that because the Public Service Commission is primarily a knowledge-based institution and does not outsource its functions, um, you know, it makes sense for it to, to spend such a, you know, a huge chunk of their budget on compensation of employees. But I'm worried because, it's, you know, it, it's an institution that carries a very important mandate. And I wonder whether the remaining 25% is really enough for it to be able to carry out, you know, um, um, its other functions in terms of, of its mandate. And then, um, in its presentation, the Public Service Commission also indicates that, um, you know, under Program 3, that intends to conduct um, nine citizens' um, forums. And, and, and I think I asked this question the last time we interacted with them, uh, you know, to say, do these forums actually target, are they able to effectively target the people in the rural areas where the grassroots live? You know, because our concern at the time was that, you know, um, do people, does the ordinary person on the street know about the public service and, and, and what it does? And can they make use of the public service? And so um, I just want to impress upon them that these citizens' forums have to be far-reaching and have to to, 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 you know, to, to drill down to, to right to the bottom so that the ordinary person on the street knows about the public service and, 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 and what its mandate is and can make use of it. And then my last question for the Public Service Commission is it um, indicates that um, for the 2020-2023 financial year, it, it, it intends to produce four articles on the promotion of professional ethics. And I wanted to find out what, you know, who the audience is for those articles, because my worry is that, um, is that um, um, sometimes, you know, when you talk about articles, it sounds so high level. And, and we've picked up on a pattern within the public service that um, sometimes the, these, you know, the misdemeanors in, in the public service are carried out by by your lower level employees and not necessarily your senior management employees. And so my worry is that sometimes when you have these articles that you know, uh, um, are aimed at entrenching a culture of professional ethics in the public service, um, you know, um, is the audience, I mean, the, the, way in these, the way in which these articles are, um, are written and, 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 you know, the audience that it tries to reach does it include all public servants. And how do, does the Public Service Commission ensure that communication is filtered down right to, um, you know, down to, uh, you know, um, your, your low-level um, um, employees? And I'm not talking about your senior management here. I'm talking about your low-level employees, such as your, your drivers and the like, so that everybody is on the same page when it comes to the issue of, of professionalism and ethics within the public service. And then my last set of questions are directed towards the Department of Public Service and Administration. Um, the lifestyle audits. Um, I'm very concerned that the pace at which you know they're being rolled out is 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 quite is 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 is, 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 is at a snail's pace. Um, and and I'm worried that there is no uniformity in terms of the implementation. So um, the last time you reported to us, you indicated that you know the Western Cape was probably the only province that had moved out of the implementation stage to actually trying to deal with some of the outcomes of these lifestyle audits. And I wondered why there were no time frames given to departments around when they had to make sure that these lifestyle audits were 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 concluded. And couldn't these 
timeframes, you know, be, be phrased in the similar manner as the financial disclosure framework, which requires that reporting be done once, you know, once once a year, you know, because I, I, it's very important to 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 pin down timeframes so that we don't have this, um, you know, poor uh, implementation when it comes to 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 the conducting of of, of the lifestyle audit. And then um, I wanted to find out about, um, they make mention, the Department of Public Service Administration makes mention of a constitutional court judgment, um, which, uh, in, which, and correct me if I'm wrong, which points to the fact that um, direct deductions um, from employee pensions and the like are unconstitutional. And so I wanted to find out what, um, you know, they were proposing, how they were proposing to, to deal with this court judgment and, 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 and be able to, to make up for where, you know, for any, 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 any power that is taken away from, from, from the department in terms of being able to, to make these deductions. And then my last question, Chair, I promise is around how the technical assistance unit in as much as I welcome the, the establishment of this unit, I'm still not sure whether it has, number one, started its work and whether it's having an impact in the public service. And my other worry is, is its independence, um, because it's very important that when we establish an, a unit such as Tau, it, it has to be removed from the executive. And I, and I often wonder whether it's rightly placed within Department of Public Service and Administration, whether it's not better placed maybe in the Public Service Commission and the like, but I'm a bit worried about the independence of, 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 of TAU as a unit and, and, and um, as well as whether it's having an impact on whether it's, 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 it's able to assist where it needs to assist. I know that it was helping in relation to the issue of public servants having received the SRD grant, um, and and it's been playing a role there, but I think you know I wish that uh, uh, more noise could be made about um, its work and 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 where exactly it's it's had successes since its establishment uh, and the like. Thank you very much, Chairperson Kiani Bukham. Honourable Ntuli. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, greetings. Uh, to to the meeting and all protocol is observed. Okay. Uh, the previous speakers had covered me, Makibi, touched on a number of things that I had jotted down here. And um, let me highlight a few. Uh, DPSA, uh, we commend DPSA uh, in terms of strengthening the bargaining uh, council, uh, hoping that it will reduce strikes and uh, also that that uh, 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 led to the uh, uh, into jeopardizing the economy of the country. Um, but one want to check something. If everything that they they think they've done here is in line with the organized organized labor, are they working together with the organized labor? Other than thinking that uh, we've now moved uh, from square one, only to find that uh, organized labor is not buying. 
it at the end of the day. Then coming to the lifestyle audit, and ethical officers paired with a government officials that are doing business with government. Uh, I want to check something here. The reviewal. Are there any reviewal of policies which are going to assist the ethical officers when dealing with these cases? Or they are still going to follow or suit what has been uh, happening previously that has been prolonging the cases uh, of, of such. Uh, um, hence now, this lifestyle audit, this uh, doing business with government, people will do it knowing that, uh, okay, uh, the case will be there, but uh, I would have done it. Uh, yeah. Then uh, to, to PSC, I want to check. After all the good work uh, that they are doing, when are they going to be hands-on and have teeth? other than waiting for the department's uh, actions. Because they work, they do a, a lot of good work, and that work is going to be packed and or shelved by the, by the departments. Are there any attempts for PSC to have teeth? Then NSG... We commend uh, NSG for the programs that they've uh, developed. Uh, but I wanted to check in terms of e-learning as to how is it uh, working with the rural areas? Because up to now, it's clear that there are still places where IT is still a, a, a problem. And secondly, in terms of the, the level of vacancies, I wanted to check as to how do they balance their work vis-a-vis these vacancies. Isn't it these uh, vacancies impact a battle on the good work that they are doing. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Ndoli. Um, can, can I give the platform to DPSA first to answer the question raised to them? DPSA, where, did you note any question raised to you? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, you, you can answer them. Uh, yes. Okay. Minister, no, no, no. did you want? Oh. Continue, continue, Linda. I'll come after you. 
Okay, thanks, Minister. So the first question was whether it is not too late to table the amendments to the bills by the fourth quarter of 2023, if I had it correctly. Um, I think we have we have reported to the portfolio committee as part of our quarterly reporting that we we experienced some challenges uh, on the consultation, especially with uh, labor at council. So um, one of the challenges was that we had uh, given labor an opportunity to give their inputs, but they required uh, more time. And during that period, we had also tabled the bills to the NEDLEC process. So this targeting is just for us to be on the safe side, even though in terms of our own assessment, uh, we might be able to conclude uh, all the consultations, including revisiting the NEDLEC process before the end of the of the fourth quarter. But I think we have targeted this way based on our experiences in the previous year where we have said we would conclude uh, uh, consultations, but we've realized that we can't predict how long the consultations will, uh, will take. But the matter has been brought to the attention of um, the minister and the previous minister where we have since um, engaged Labour just to ask them to stick to certain timelines so that we are able to go back um, to NetLeg if the substantive inputs that will be made by Labour. So in 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 our heads, we 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 think we'll be able to table sooner than the fourth quarter, but we've just targeted this way so that we we are just safe in case we have the same experiences. Um, the next one was what will happen if employees fail the job competency um, assessments. Um, the, as I had indicated, we are still in the process of doing research um, and also then developing the framework. However, what I can uh, bring to the attention of the committee is that if we look at the current competency assessments for senior managers, um, I'd, I will not use the word fail because the intention of that is that when you are appointing a senior manager, the approval authority must give due consideration to the recommendations or the assessment. However, these assessments um, at this moment are only used for um, training of the people that we are appointing so that as part of their initial training when they get to the department, they can close those gaps. Um, but there is also they are also used just to bring to the attention if the, it's the DG who is appointing or it's the minister that in terms of the four competencies of for senior managers, this person that you are considering to appoint is weak on this and this. The example that I always use is that notwithstanding the fact that the outcomes of their assessment must not be used to decide whether or not you appoint. But it is important in considering for appointment, if, for example, you have taken a CFO or a person you want to appoint as a CFO, one of the things they test is financial management. And if that person fails the assessment on financial management, then the appointing authority must really apply their minds that can you really appoint somebody who has failed in the core competence that you are appointing them on. So I think the with the job competency framework, once the framework has been developed, we'll then look at what are the implications 
for implementation? Is it going to be implemented for training and development, or is it going to be used in the decision making for um, for employing? So I think, Chair, if there, there, there is a, a keen interest on how this is going to work, I think we can um, maybe request the committee to bring us back to give a detailed presentation on, of what is the intention and how it would be implemented. There were two questions on the lifestyle audits. Um, there was a question around if, uh, if I, I heard uh, correctly, that if people have um, assets and wealth that they've been given out of inheritance or whatever, will they not be penalized? I think the intention is that where people, there's a concept of um, unexplained wealth. And I think part of some of the verifications and security checkings that are being done now, especially by state security, all officials need to do is to explain where the wealth is coming from. The challenge becomes if you can explain where it's coming from, that more digging will have to be done. Um, and with respect to its implementation and the slow pace of the lifestyle audits, departments were requested to start implementing from April 2021. And I'm advised that in uh, this April, April, uh, the TAU unit did come to give a presentation on the progress on the implementation. So um, I think when the the, the thing was um, was first issued for implementation, I don't necessarily think the PSA could have said we need to do it by this time. But I think that's similar to the um, the the financial disclosures, because these two tools are going to work together. If the financial disclosure picks up or red flags something about me, for an example, then the department must, as a deep assessment, then implement the lifestyle audit. So they are going to work together to say if there's red flags, then the lifestyle audit must kick in. And where I will be required to produce evidence of the wealth that I have, because if they compare that to what I earn, uh, there might be red flags that how am I affording A, B, C, and D on my salary. So it's part of the whole package of ethics and the, um, the financial disclosure, which can then trigger, because the lifestyle audits are not also just going to be implemented for everybody. There needs to be a trigger. And one of the triggers would be the, the financial disclosures that I've already uh, mentioned. So the, the implementation started last year. Um, section 38, um, the, the review of the Public Service uh, Act and regulations uh, has also been done considering the similar judgments because the, the problem with Section 38 in the way that it was implemented before as articulated by the courts is that departments didn't necessarily seek um, permission or concurrence or agreements with employees, for example, if they overpaid them. So the review, especially the court judgment says there needs to be an agreement with the employee because sometimes departments would see that they've paid me an extra 50000 and in my next salary they take that 50000 without entering into agreement with me and making sure that um, Yes, I have to pay, but it, it has to be in a way that doesn't um, have a negative impact uh, <coughs> to to the official. So that's how we have dealt with the, the court judgment. 
in respect of revising section 38. Uh, Tau, um, as per the PAMA, um, reports directly to the minister, but it is independent of DPSA. And, and um, the, the, the issue is that uh, Tau's independence must also be looked within the context of the fact that Tau is not mandated to conduct investigations. So the, the, their mandate is about providing the technical support and advice on issues of ethics and discipline, but they don't have the mandate to do investigations. That is still delegated by the act to HODs and uh, to the president when it comes to HODs. So it's not taking away that investigation responsibility of departments when they deal with discipline. Hence, the issue of um, its independence in this context is, is not an issue because uh, they can, they, they, for example, if TAU is located in DPSA, whether structurally or for budget purposes, can it also investigate officials? So the, the issue of um, independence does not apply because their mandate is not to do investigation. It's more a technical, and that's why it's called a technical uh, support institution. Uh, lastly, the, and I will invite my other colleague, um, when you go to respond to the, the last two that I've noted. But with respect to the HRD strategy, the first HRD strategy for the public service was done in 2002. There was another one that was done in 2016. So this is part of the normal review of our frameworks and policies as DPSA. So this is what necessitated us to do the reviewed strategy and present it to cabinet. In this time, this time around, the cabinet said, no, let's not just focus only on HRD. Let's look at the entire value chain of human resources management and development. So it, it came out from just the normal. It was it was due for review um, anyway. Um, I would request uh, uh, Nico to res- uh, speak on the question of us working with organized labor. I didn't uh, capture it correctly, but I wanted him to also add on the HRD strategy if he has any further inputs, but uh, also to answer the question about uh, us working with organized labor. Um, Thank you, Chair. I'll be reminded if I didn't respond to everything. Chairperson, before me... Thank you. Can I give you the, the Honorable Minister? Because uh, my apologies, colleagues, because I have another session now starting at five or of uh, employment. You are muted, Honorable Minister. Oh. Can you unmute? Do you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, thank you. I, I thought, Chairperson, I must just weigh in on the issue which the acting DDG. I mean, the acting DG has raised of the lifestyle audit. Just to indicate that these are just tests that are performed to determine if the the lifestyle of a particular employee is consumerate with that person's uh, known income. That's very important. And... uh, there's a variety of a database which is collected or information which is able to give 
what others call a snapshot into certain aspects of, of the life of that particular employee. And uh, it might not be just employees, including us, as, as public representatives. These include the credit information, issues of the bad debt, and uh, including uh, all the businesses which must be declared, including what was raised by the honorable member, what you might have inherited. And uh, this also includes the properties, it might be the vehicles, it might be um, assets and investments. Some of them are offshore, people are able to hide these things. But it also looks into the associates. And, and I think the intention is not malicious. The intention is, is to curb fraud and corruption and what you call an unethical conduct. And it's part of the risk management strategy. And clearly, all you have, including what you have inherited, must be declared. That's, that's the intention. I've inherited the homestead with uh, lots of sheep, but now those sheep are gone because I'm on the border of Lesotho and uh, the old Transkai. Nothing is left there because of theft. Uh, but I thought that it's very, very important that this should not be seen as, 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 as negative or trying to be punitive. It's to ensure that people are open and transparent about what they are owing. I mean, what they are owning. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, who is still outstanding? Can I, can, I, can I go to NSG if all questions of DPSA are, are answered? NSG, can you take the platform and answer questions directed to you? Chair, the bargaining, uh, the strengthening of uh, bargaining council, is it in line with the organized labor? So okay, that, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, you are right, Honorable Mdul. Can, can that be answered, uh, Honorable Minister? You're talking about the current bargaining. You see, and then I think the, I think uh, DG will, will also weigh in here. What has happened, we have realized that uh, the bargaining uh, the bargaining processes are not aligned to the budget processes. As a result, we tend to bargain after the fact. When the budget has been presented in parliament and uh, adopted, sealed, we start with the bargaining. And uh, we have gone into, uh, Minister Jojo has gone into a public service summit where there was an assessment and an analysis of the previous trends and issues which excuse me which tend to cause a conflict and out of that analysis uh, there was an understanding including what was outstanding what led to what uh, in terms of the three-year agreement but uh, now with minister kodongan who have agreed that the bargaining process is going to be realigned to the budgetary processes. We have started the negotiations 
just for 2022 and focusing on the salary increases. And uh, the intention then is to say, if it works well by the end of June, we must have completed the salary negotiations for 2022-23. Then we start the real negotiations for 2023-24, and uh, which will then um, feed into the budgetary processes. And we want to start those in July. They must go parallel to the budget process so that as and when the Minister of Finance presents his medium term and the final budget at the beginning of the year, it's also informed by some of the agreements we might have we might have reached. We think that we've been able um, to have discussions and talked about various uh, various uh, problems or mistakes which have been made uh, before. But there's one thing which uh, maybe DDG, <clears throat> the acting DG, can be able to explain. There's this narrative that it was us who went to court. But you look at all the papers, we were the respondents who had been taken to court by the unions, by some of the unions, and we had to respond to that. We rushed into court. It, it was not true. And by the way, there was no way that we could not. We hope now with Minister Kotongwana, because we've had political engagements with the leadership of, of the public sector unions, and uh, to open up and say, this is where we are. This is the economic outlook. Do your own analysis and say what can be affordable. Because it's well and good to say we're not giving. The, the challenge in the country now is employment of more than 13 million people. And I think the question is, do you give more salaries to those who are employed and forget about those who are unemployed? Or is it a balancing act? And I think that question is a question which all of us have to deal with in bargaining and what are going to be the compromises. Hence, even this idea of a social compact as to where all of us can be able to make um, uh, compromises. But I'm not sure if I was answering the question, but maybe uh, I think DG can be able also to weigh in on this one. Yes. Thanks, Minister. I think Minister has, uh, has answered the, the question. Um, what I can just confirm is that the, the Minister is correct. It is the, the, the unions, in particular the PSA, the took government code. And I think what I can confirm is that um, all the negotiations that we, we have done with, uh, to date, uh, DPSA has been working um, with organized labor. However, I think um, the the outcome of the government not being able to pay um, parts of the 2018 agreement, which then led to PSA taking us to court, has resulted in what labor calls um, a broken relationship. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not using the right word. So part of what uh, we were intending to do with the public service summit that minister referring to was to look at um, trying to restore that relationship, but most importantly, to make sure that we, we have clear frameworks of how we engage 
uh, in collective bargaining. Hence, some of the targets are about the coordination of the bargaining councils, but also having a developing um, negotiations or bargaining framework or policy that will guide all the stakeholders. So, um, but I think the issue around negotiations is a very sensitive one because you can, you know, depending on what we have agreed with Labour and whether you were able to implement everything, the relationship can change um, at any minute, uh, maybe as a result of even one clause that has not been um, has has not been implemented. So it's 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 a very fluid relationship, and it takes uh, the parties always engaging to try and find common ground. But this year, in particular, as I said, we are looking at having an agreed framework with labor that would set the parameters for how we, we engage in collective bargaining, including what Minister has um, spoken about, about also aligning the the bargaining process to government's uh, financial uh, financial processes and cycles. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. NSG, you can answer any question directed to you. Uh, thanks, Honorable uh, Chair and members and the Minister team and other colleagues, I'll answer a few questions quickly and then I'll, I'll request my other colleagues to add to that. Um, starting with a, a question perhaps around the, the brand and marketing uh, strategy. We, we are not spending money on marketing as the NSG currently. We rely on a few interventions that are helping us to build a brand and market our services. And this is based on quality of offerings. That's why we want people to trust us, is the quality of what we offer. And that's that the quality we offer has to be responsive, relevant, and must have high uh, impact uh, as well. So we do very responsive things. That's why my colleague, the Honorable Chair, in his presentation was indicating that we'll be launching new executive education programs later this month. It is part and parcel of being responsive. If I may link that issue with the question asked by Honorable Kwanwe on disaster management causes. Honorable Kwanwe, we're at a very early uh, you know, early stage right now of us wanting to conceptualize a disaster management uh, cause. We have had uh, inquiries from the Premier's office in KwaZulu-Natal and there are several other officials who are asking whether or not we can put together a cause on disaster management. What we have done in the past working with our international partners is to run a program that compares how other countries respond to emergencies like like um, like like pandemics. That was a, on, a, on, a, on a Zoom platform, but given the requirements now, we will be designing our own. In order for us to do that, we will rely on experts inside and outside of the public sector who have got various expertise that they can use to input on the course we will be designing on disaster uh, management. Hence, we'll be engaging with disaster management centers in all the provinces. The national one will be engaging engineers in um, in the public uh, in the public sector and private as well as others uh, in the higher education uh, space as well so definitely we will be having it it's a matter of, uh, of 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 months there is a process that is beginning already and in june this year 
we will host another two-day uh, seminar working with local and international. We want to know, uh, Honorable Gondwe, how these officials in disaster management centers are, are trained in other countries. What I can tell you now for sure is that the reason why in countries like United States of America and countries like China and others in Asia, they respond much more quickly is because there's a command and control arrangement that is in place. When a disaster has been declared or when a weather service has given a notification that there are floods, the the command and control arrangement kicks in, everybody is ordered to evacuate. If you don't evacuate, it becomes your problem and everybody does. So it happens in both in America, it happens in China as well. In South Africa, we use a very civilian and laser sphere method of telling people where not to build and how to move out of uh, places where there's going to be an, an emergency. And as a consequence, we get a lot of people being being stuck there. So we will see that program coming to the party. The issue of losing val- val- revenue from the master classes, we are using that as part of building the brand. So if you see, we recently had Danny Roderick, one of the you know top scholars in economics in the world today, he came and spoke on the masterclass of the National School of Government without charging us any, any amount. In fact, at the end of this month, of May, we have the director of the London School of Economics, who is a former deputy governor of the Bank of England, who will be talking to us on a webinar, a masterclass on building social compact, and she's written even a book recently about the same subject. So we are leveraging on big brands, on people who've got credibility, who are known worldwide, who are well-respected. And in some instances, these are people who are paid top dollar to come and speak, and they are coming to the National School of Government not you know, without uh, charging uh, us anything. So these are parts and parcel of our brand and marketing strategies to build a brand, but not just to market the NSG as the brand is appealing, to market what we are about uh, as the school uh, based on the programs that we we are offering. <clears throat> offering. Indeed, we are designing our own qualifications. We do not need to be uh, declared as a higher education institution to offer a qualification. So the three that we are working on now will mean that as the NSG, we will be able to offer an award qualifications to public servants. Yes, indeed, we will continue to work with public higher education institutions because that gives us depth. It also gives us reach because of the capabilities which they have. So by working with them, it doesn't mean by offering our own qualification doesn't mean we'll stop working with others. We'll continue to do so. The problem at hand is bigger than any institution, more so the National School of Government on its uh, on its own. On the e-learning, we are growing that part of our of our of our business. We are you know buying new solutions that are enabling our e-business solution. But as the honourable member indicated, we are proceeding with caution on the e-learning matter because many senior people, including MPs, MPs and councillors, they have the benefit of attending a Zoom class at the NSG over a two-week period, which means they have access to a computer as well as data. Whether they are studying at home or they are studying at the offices in council offices or in the in, in legislatures and so on. However, entry-level employees do not have access to such. Even those who work 
through computers in the frontline service space. They do not have the access because those computers for security reasons are locked. So you can't train public servants at SASA who are in the front line through a Zoom platform because they can't use those computers and they also don't have access to, to data. So what we are doing is to use a blended method of training, which means that they can be brought into a training center, a common training room, which got full functionality in terms of ICT and, and web link, and you can provide the training to them wherever they are. This way you can have you know, 20 people in per class in 10 different classes in the different provinces, and the person who's training them might be at the National School of Government. That's where you are expanding access. You provide a similar, seamless training to people in various um, you know, spaces, but they have to come to one common venue, which means the employer has to make that arrangement that they must come to one common venue. We do have currently zero rating for our e-learning courses, but only from MTN who responded positively to our application for zero rating. Other network providers declined our application for a zero rating. Zero rating honorable members matters a lot for us in a sense that if you zero rate our e-learning courses, it means a police officer, a nurse, a teacher, a worker at SASA, a receptionist is a municipality, can do an ethics course on a Saturday or Sunday or an evening without having to worry about buying their own data in order to, for them to do an ethics course or no and leave your, your constitution. So we are pursuing this matter with the telcos. We do believe that we have a strong and a compelling case to make and once you get zero rating you'll get a lot more public servants doing and the majority of these causes are actually free therefore when you when you zero rate them you eliminate barriers to barriers to access so that's how we are proceeding on the issue of um, digitizing our the work that we do as a national school uh, of, of of government on the vacancy rate honorable members i'm happy to to reassert what my colleague did open said earlier on we have come to the last leg of our transformation cycle as we're repositioning the nsg we have worked very collaboratively with all the employees and stakeholders in at the NSG, including with organized labor. Therefore, we are now in a position to advertise the vacant positions. There was a matter in place process underway, so you couldn't fill a position through um, an open advert before you complete the process of a match and, 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 and place internally. We had a staff meeting, for example, last week where we were acknowledging the fact that the NSG colleagues, in spite of this vacancy rate, are able to you know, work and they be on the call of, of, of duty and they were not complaining that they, were, they couldn't perform as a consequence of the vacancies that we have. So we are now advertising a lot of posts. We are filling those posts. We think that in the next four months, will have gone a long way and we do appreciate that the colleagues did not complain or protest that they were do, they were being overwhelmed as a consequence of um of of of, of these uh, of this now the last question i want to answer honorable member i think it was gone was about the impact of what we do honorable member it's a very important question you are asking in the sense that 
We captured indicators on enrollment, how many people are registered, we capture how many people have completed, and then we are raising the issue of impact. For each of the courses we do, especially those that are done online, there's a survey that you must do. If you do a course online, it will not issue a certificate unless we have completed the survey and where you rate the, the, the course itself and its impact. The common response we get from majority of employees is, yes, they appreciate, they think the course was of high quality. However, they, some of them say, in my workplace, I don't think I'll be able to apply this, uh, what this what I've learned, which means that to the extent that we are empowering public servants to do things better and differently, even if you train them to be the best in working in the supply chain management system, if in a department there is no you know, proper leadership and the ecosystem does not encourage you know, prudence and working within the framework of the law, those skills will then mean nothing. You can have someone qualifying as a best project manager ever to can be trained anywhere in the world. However, if a department does not appreciate project management as a methodology of leading the, same, the, the, the program of delivering services to the people. If there's no leadership, there's no accountability, the ecosystem is negative. It is difficult for people to do so. So remember, that is part of the feedback that we are getting. Those who were learning because they needed to enhance their knowledge, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, system, the impact is always good. They say they can apply what they are learning. However, in certain instances, people say, where I work, the environment is very difficult for me to, for, for me to, 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 to do this. Let me end here, uh, uh, Chair, and request maybe my colleague, uh, you know, Maja to, to add, and then we will, we will close. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Three, you want to make, Maja? Just two points, Chairperson. The principal has responded to many of the issues. The, the one issue that the principal didn't touch on is with regards to the funding model. We have tabled uh, proposals with the committee before and indicated to the committee that we do intend to make a proposal to cabinet on a sustainable funding model for the National School of Government. We are hoping to have our proposals in this regard ready by the end of this month. We've been having these conversations also at cluster level. So we are hoping to be able to take to cabinet proposals on how the National School of Government can be funded sustainably moving forward. So that is the one issue. The other issue, Chair, which was raised by Honorable Conway, relates to the issue of consequence management. So we do have training interventions that deal with managing of discipline. But similar to the impact issue that the principal was just talking about and the role of the employer in this regard, we are proposing as part of the professionalization framework that we add a layer that helps us to also deal with consequence management so that the issue of consequence management is not only limited to the employer and the employee, but with the introduction of professional bodies or what some call professional councils, we can have a way in which we mediate issues of consequence management such that it goes beyond just training. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, uh, CPSI. Thank you, Honorable Chair.
thanks, honorable members, for the questions that you've posed to the organization. Uh, honorable Kibi, with regard to the first question around value for money, I think um, as CPSI, we are using these knowledge platforms to enhance the knowledge economy where we we have to produce and use knowledge uh, as a critical you know, strategy. And it's as I said in my presentation, that innovation and knowledge management, uh, you can't separate them. You need to look at them together. I'll give you examples of things that came out of these platforms. For instance, with the running of the design thinking workshops, we started with uh, running workshops where you would inform public servants, these are the tools. But lately from last late last year, we started having sessions where public servants actually use the tools to solve service delivery problem, uh, problems. That is uh, being done, for instance, with the Northern Cape uh, project, the online um, uh, Tucson Center. It was not just a meeting where we said, uh, how do we solve this problem? We actually used uh, design thinking tools to come up with a better solution. Secondly, uh, normally after, the co because our conference, for instance, we share case studies. We share thought leadership around public sector innovation. So you'd find that post the conference, there would be correctional services that would say, I'm interested in implementing e-learning in prisons for, 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 for the inmates. And then it leads to a project. You'd have uh, a, a department that would, uh, a department of health or a hospital that would be interested in a project that saves blood and blood products. So after the conference, we end up with a number of uh, pro uh, projects. You also end up with partnerships that come out of that. I gave an example that we invited Bangladesh to come and share their innovation journey with public servants in South Africa. And post that, we actually are taking uh, the, the partnership forward uh, through the South-South uh, Network for Public Sector Innovation. So that's, that's the value. It might not be a tangible value, but I think uh, we struggle with knowledge management where when uh, a person leaves the organization, you don't know what they were doing, uh, things fall through the cracks, the new people that come in want to start from zero. But once you start capturing this knowledge, it becomes a, an asset to the state as well. So the design thinking workshops as well, it, it's part of reskilling how employees or public servants should solve service delivery challenges. So it gives them those skills uh, that's, uh, that's uh, the return on investment. Uh, in terms of the Northern Cape uh, uh, project, the online two-song center, uh, I just wanted to indicate that I think we are happy that it started in Northern Cape. Northern Cape, it's a vast province. It has only five Tucson centers. You can imagine what that means to an ordinary person who's sitting somewhere in Springbok in the, in the farms trying to access government services. So I think the province was driven by the challenge that they are facing as a rural um, uh, department. As I indicated, GCIS, uh, DCDT is there. CETA attended the workshop. So it's a, it's a multi, uh, you know, party, uh, you know, uh, uh, initiative where we are supporting Northern Cape to test this new uh, uh, way of delivering services through Tucson centers and online Tucson center. And we hope that uh, after that, other provinces will then go uh, the, 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 the virtual way. Obviously, you don't get rid of the physical facilities. You want a multi-channel way of delivering services so that if you want to use your cell phone, 
you can use your cell phone. We, as part of the design thinking workshop, we explored having, if you remember, yes, back there were what we called PITs, uh, PITs, in post offices, where a person can come in. If you don't have a smart phone, you can go to a, a post office or we can enter into agreement with uh, retailers to have those screens there so that people can access these services wherever they can. So those are some of the ideas that will come. And we hope that, you know, uh, after you've tested and piloted fully in this province, we'll be able to move forward. Honorable Manelli, the research study that we spoke about actually started in the previous financial year. Research and literature review has been done. The qualitative part has been done. We are now getting to the third phase of the quanti uh, uh, quantitative um, uh, part of the study. And uh, yes, you're right. It can be done in one year. We realized that last year. That's why it's overlapping into the in this to into this financial year. And we will share the outcomes of the, that study with honorable members later on. I'm not sure if I missed anything else, but I will ask my colleague Pierre to come in if there's something that I've missed. Thank you, honorable chair. Thank you. <clears throat> Is um, there anything she has missed, Pierre? Um, Honourable Chair, through you, um, not that um, I can see from my note, perhaps just to also mention uh, to Honourable Members that we are all working closely um, on the survey um, to align it um, for all uh, spheres of government. Um, so the question was around whether it will be the whole of the public service and the answer is yes. Uh, we're also trying to align it with the uh, MIMI, the Municipal uh, Innovation Maturity Index that is driven by the HSRC, as well as aligning it with international studies such as the Oslo Manual. And we are working closely with the OECD so that we can also benchmark against other countries in terms of the study of our uh, innovation in the country. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you. Can I now invite the Public Service Commission? Uh, thank you, Chairperson. I will just take two uh, items which uh, had been raised. The first one, the teeth for for the Public Service Commission. Uh, that one, I do think that it depends on how we work together with Parliament on issues that were raised whilst legislative reforms have not taken place. But also we are beginning to work with other institutions supporting democracy, which we often refer certain cases to them, and they refer some of the cases to us. And I've also realized that having meetings with the responsible ministers and executive authorities in general helps a great deal when you explain some of the frustrations we experience dealing with some of the public servants. On the profile and the penetration of rural areas, I think over the last year, the PSC have been raising steadily its profile. We've analyzed public participation 
as well as people beginning to understand what the PSC stands for and what work it is doing. And that in itself, I do think that it's quite encouraging. And our outreach programs are held in deep rural areas, but I'll leave the rest to the DG and the CFO. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. DG, can, you can come in. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson and members. So on the question pertaining to who is the target market for the articles on professional ethics, well, first and foremost, public servants are our immediate targets because uh, they're the ones who have to uphold the standard of high standard of professional ethics. But ultimately, the PSC does the work in order to ensure that uh, the ordinary citizens and members of the public experience uh, the high quality standard of government services. And so, uh, member, we, we take note of um, the concern, but the way that the articles are written are in such a way that they are accessible to all categories of persons, uh, so they're not uh, targeted to a niche uh, market. And, and I suppose that will then deal with the concern about um, it uh, being maybe too high level. And uh, with regards to the question of um, the budget, uh, the CFO will add, but I think it's it's important to, to note that um, the compensation of employees' budget constitutes, first and foremost, the compensation of commissioners. The PSC has got a total of 14 commissioners, nine in the provinces, as well as five based in the national office. And uh, of course, then the, 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 the remainder of the budget is for employees that uh, work in the OPSC, which is the secretariat uh, for for um, the, um, the, the, the commission. And on the question on whether the um, the, the operational budget, the budget on goods on, on, and services is uh, uh, inadequate. Well, uh, just on the basis of um, the the expenditure trends for the, at least the last three years, I mean, there are indications that uh, the budget that has been allocated to the PSC is uh, uh, sufficient to cover at least the goods and services. Members would have noted in the reports that we've provided in the in the previous financial year, uh, financial years and due to the impact of COVID-19, you know, the, 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 the goods and services budget um, was slightly underspent because of some of the overheads that uh, we didn't um, have to pay because the staff members were working mostly from home. But I would let, let my colleague, um, you know, the CFO, just to, um, to add more on the question of, of, of the budget. Thank you, members. Thank you, CFO. You can take the floor. Um, thank you so much, Chairperson. I hope I'm audible. You are. Thank you so much. Let me apologize for the glitch that I had earlier. Um, I'm now speaking from my cell phone. I have actually decided to use two gadgets to make sure that uh, uh, the meeting does uh, hear me well. Um, Dr. Gonda's question, Honorable Gonda, uh, indeed, um, yes. 75% of our budget is compensation of employees. And uh, um, and the question is whether is 25% enough? Um, I think the, the, the DG has just indicated that um, um, historically we've have been, we have been experiencing um, some level of understanding, but those are basically linked COVID, to COVID because um, we, we, we really saved a lot of money as a result of staff 
working remotely, uh, and most of them from home. And therefore, we really did not travel. We spend a lot uh, less when it comes to consumables. We've got uh, offices throughout the country, and, and, and as a result, we. But, but uh, under normal circumstances, the budget is really not enough. Um, from the compensation uh, goods and services budget that we have, um, we've got around about 68 million that uh, is linked to all what 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 I, I regard as uh, uh, your mandatory uh, spending items. This will, amongst others, include um, our list. Uh, of offices, the rental that we pay for all the offices throughout the entire country. This will include, amongst others, the cost that we pay to CETA for transversal uh, systems that are hosted by them and hosting of communication and all those. So at the end of the day, we are left with less than 10 million really that we can play around to fund um, projects that the commission needs to, to, to fund. So we understand the fiscal uh, situation that the country continues to be on, and we know we are forced to basically do more with less. So we are that institution that tries by all means to cut where we can. Um, so the question is, yes, um, indeed, we do not have sufficient budget to cover all what needs to be covered. Thank you. Thank you uh, very much. Honorable members, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, we have now come to the end of the meeting. Thank you for your attendance and your contribution to the meeting. The meeting now stands adjourned. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair members. Thank you. Bye now.